1: time machine? Out of a DeLorean?
2: We came, we saw, we kicked its ass!
0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. I am your host Matt Bledsoe and on this episode we are talking about Gross Point Blank from 1997 Uh, and joining me to talk about is someone I'm very happy to welcome back to the show. He's one of the hosts of the fantastic Action for Everyone podcast, and he's just one of my favorite people to talk movies with. It's Mike Scott. Mike, how you doing? You can't
1: go home again, Matt. But apparently, you can't shop there. <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm okay. good.
0: <laughs> I know you're excited to talk about this one. We'll get uh, we'll get into it, obviously. But um, I'm very happy to have you on for this movie specifically and talk about it with you and just all that stuff. But um, yes, glad you're glad you're back. It had I told you right before we started recording that um, it has not been like six or seven months this time. It's only been a couple months. So that's pretty good.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And well, and you know, it was, uh, I was still I was still flying high on the uh, the Crimson Tide episode. I hadn't, I, you know, I, I hadn't hit the point yet where I was like, man, does Matt not even like me anymore? You know, I was still, I was still vibing on the, the good vibes of the Crimson Tide episode. So when you reached out to me, I was like, ah, yes, even
0: cooler. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to make it a point now to invite people back quicker than, (laughs) because I was really conscious of it with like, like you and Carmelita came on back to back. And, uh, Looking back at episodes that you guys were previously on, I was genuinely shocked it had been so long. I was like, "I got to do a better job getting go back on the show quicker." <laughs> so I'm making it a point now to to do that. So, um, yes, glad you're back for this one. I was really happy with the Crimson Tide episode. Not too on a horn, but I was so I was so pleased with how that turned out. I just and I was it was great. So thank you again for being on that one because that was a great episode. Yeah, no, and
1: thank you for inviting me on that one. I I too was very pleased with how that one turned out. Uh, I do I do want to shout out though. I thought. <clears throat> I thought the episode you did, as you know, Matt, I am no fan of the fan, uh, and uh, but I thought Mitch was great. I thought I thought Mitch was an absolutely perfect guest for that episode. He brought the right level of enthusiasm. He was exactly what you needed to talk because I know you don't love the movie very much either. And so right, you really <laughs> needed somebody like Mitch on there, and I thought that episode was just absolutely terrific.
0: Oh well thank you. Yeah, I Mitch was the perfect guest for that episode because I didn't know what I was gonna do with the fan, and then yeah, Mitch came on and like injected life into that one that that I didn't think was gonna be on that episode. And I'm glad. I felt we went off on a bunch of tangents, so I'm so glad people enjoyed it because people seemed to like it. I was like, "Hope people at Maya's talking about like old PS1 video games and like all this other stuff." But uh, um, yeah, thank you. No, that I, I we've been on a, a good streak with the Scarable episodes for a while, so I hope we can keep it going. Um, but uh I, it's been a while since, well, not a while but it's been a little bit since we talked about stuff we've seen like stuff we've watched and you talk about stuff you watch on action for everyone you guys talk about the latest action movies you've seen um so is there stuff you want to bring up that maybe is not uh some non-action stuff on here
1: <laughs> yeah and, and one of them might still uh kind of fall in the action category but frankly i and i am gonna probably talk about it on action for everyone too but I watched it yesterday and was so blown away that I'm going to talk about it every chance I can get, um, which was um, Old Henry. Matt, have you seen Old Henry yet?
0: No, it's on my radar. I almost watched it before I even did our best of 2021 episode because I thought it might you know, be a contender or something I want to talk about. And I didn't get around to it. Um, so, yeah, please tell me about it because I'm very curious. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so for those who don't know, Tim, and I'm gonna definitely avoid spoilers here because there's some twists in the movie that are, and I'm not a big like twist guy, but there's some twists in this that are uh, just magnificent. But Tim Blake Nelson uh, plays it's a western with Tim Blake Nelson where he he plays a, a a man, a single father with a son out on a you know a ranch, and they come across a wounded stranger and they they take him in. And uh, a gang led by Steven Dorff, Blade Zone Stephen Dorff, is pursuing the man, and it ultimately sort of becomes this siege, showdown-type movie. But uh, Tim Blake Nelson, old man action star, is something I did not know I needed, and now I need it in every single movie. Uh, he is so good in it. Uh, but he's still Tim Blake Nelson. He's not trying to do this, like, Liam Neeson thing or, or that he's still quirky and weird. And it's, he's not all jacked up or anything like that, but he is so convincing as a Western like hero. And, uh, and in addition to the sort of the story being amazing that I was really surprised at how good the action was too. I mean, it's, it's still a very, it's a semi-traditional Western, but the shootouts are, uh, very sort of messy in a way that you don't often see in a lot of Westerns. Um, I really, really can't recommend this one highly enough, man. I I friggin love this thing.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, that just definitely moved it up to uh, to priority. And I liked Tim Blake Nelson. I never. I he's one of the guys that pops up, and I'm like, oh, it's him. And but I never thought it was an action guy. So that's that's very surprising. You know, um, that sounds very cool. And the tw- someone had mentioned that it has like you know, these really good twists, and I was surprised by that. And it, it just sounds like a really uh, interesting movie that, uh, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely going to try to check that out uh, as soon as possible now.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think, I think you'll really, I think you'll really, really like it. Um, you know, I, I thought of, um, and I, I, I mentioned it in our, you know, our, our chat that I mentioned it to Anthony King too, cause it just seems extremely an Anthony movie. Um, I think Daniel might've already seen it, but, um, yeah, I, this is I think this one is one that's going to be kind of amongst our sort of little podcasting circle is one that if people haven't already seen it over this year as they watch it, everybody's going to be like, oh, man, <laughs> we got to watch <laughs> the old Henry. Yeah, it's a good one.
0: Nice. OK, it does seem like, they, you know, they still make these Westerns. People complain, like, oh, they don't make Westerns. Like they still always get a couple you get a couple westerns every year i think more than a couple probably and i feel like they kind of fly under the radar though still they kind of people to catch up with them so it sounds like one people will probably catch up with in the next couple of years and be like oh that was a really underrated movie you know so um cool i i will definitely seek that out um uh what what else you got so i got two others one okay. one
1: will be fairly quick here uh, i also watched um jim cummings the beta test jim cummings and pj mccabe's the beta test um I was a big, big fan of the Wolf of Snow Hollow. Um, I, I this one was good, but I liked it less. Have you seen the beta test yet, Matt?
0: No, I've been waiting, and I just saw that it hit Hulu, I believe. If um, uh, it hit some streaming, I was like, oh, okay, it's on. It's on. I can watch it for free now <laughs> on the streaming service. Um, I was very intrigued by it because, I, I, but I haven't seen Jim Cummings movies. The funny thing, I've seen no Jim Cummings movies, but I was like, I got to see the beta test. Seems really like a weird. Well, I, at first I heard it was almost like a kind of a weird riff on Eyes Wide Shut and then people were saying oh it's not really like that it's not what you think um so I've kind of been avoiding I'm kind of going in blind whenever I see it I don't know much about it but um whatever it sounded very interesting whatever it was so um now that it's out there for free on streaming I will catch down uh, catch up on that too
1: yeah it's definitely best I think to go in blind um there's certainly Eyes Wide Shut sort of Illusions in there, but it does go in different places. And you know, and the biggest thing is it's sort of a searing commentary on like Hollywood culture and in particular, like producers and agents. Um, one of the things that the movie's sort of known for is, and this doesn't go into any type of spoilers, is that uh Cummings and McCabe, they they did a survey. Well, they used a survey that was conducted on like a bunch of assistants of like Hollywood producers and agents. And they took actual comments that those assistants had said, their bosses had said to them, just these horrible, brutal, awful things. Ooh. And they actually turned those into dialogue for some of the characters. So there's some really just mean, terrible things that that agents and producers say uh, to you know their subordinates in this, obviously recalling Harvey Weinstein and Scott Rudin and, mm. And so many other, you know, just awful people in Hollywood. So it's pretty biting and searing on that. Um, I just don't know that it's necessarily as biting and searing as it thinks it is. My (laughs) my biggest problem with the movie. Um, And also, I really like Jim Cummings as an actor, uh, but I liked I thought he was much better in his two previous movies. Uh, It was a little... I don't know. I don't know that he was necessarily the right person to be the lead in this movie. I think it might have needed somebody a little uh, a little edgier uh, would be the best way I can describe it.
0: Oh, okay. Um, is it is it like a dark comedy? Is it playing it very straight, like a drama? Is it... Because uh, no. I couldn't get the gauge for that either, yeah.
1: No, Jim Cummings doesn't play anything straight. Right. Um, <laughs> all, all of his movies are very, very um, sort of kind of all over the map certainly i think dark comedy would be the best way to to classify it um something like you know it's hard not to think of something like i don't know if you've ever seen speaking of awful people the old kevin spacey movie swimming with sharks um it's something like that where it's it's funny but it's kind of cringe funny and then it also quickly veers into much more serious stuff. Uh but dark comedy is sort of how I would classify it. It's certainly not intended to be like you know make you super depressed or or upset. Oh. Or like yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Um it was is it Where'd you watch it? Is it on Hulu, or did you pay to rent it? Or I
1: actually rented it. Uh, oh, okay, okay. I'm, I'm actually a little mad that you told me it's on Hulu. <laughs> I actually rented it, but uh, <laughs> it was only—I think it was only like three bucks or something like that. So it wasn't—it wasn't that big of a deal, right? Day.
0: Right. You didn't break the bank and pay the twenty-dollar rental yeah, or no, I,
1: didn't I didn't do the premium VOD, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I, I it, I'm sure it is on like Hulu or something now because it's a little indie movie, and those usually you know hit a site like that pretty quick so
0: yeah it, i just checked it is on there sorry to break it <laughs> i've done that so many times though where i pay to rent something and then like a week or two later i hear oh it's gonna be on netflix next week and i'm like god damn it even though it's like i spent three or four dollars but i'm still i'm outraged for some so, reason. <laughs> i'm
1: used to so good at checking just watch before i do that too but this one i just i i I mean, I follow Cummings on Twitter. I sort of figured I would have seen, you know, an announcement that it was on Hulu. So I was just, I just made the assumption that it wasn't, and I just rented it. So, wow. Which, well, you know yeah. I'm, you know what? I mean, come on. I, I'm happy to support the movie, even though I didn't love it. I mean, I still gave it, you know, it's still a three star movie. I, on letterbox for me which i mean i you know i tend to rate high on letterbox but it is a solidly worthwhile watch and it's only you know it comes in at like 98 99 minutes it's not very long so it does its job and gets out so always, you know
0: yeah it's, worth- <laughs> it's always good to hear it's like oh it's around 90 minutes great sold i'm good <laughs> but also also the same thing with old henry
1: old henry comes in at like 97 minutes it hmm. just just in and out
0: <laughs> perfect <laughs> sold um and did you say you had one more to talk about
1: oh yeah i just finished okay. last night I, I i watched it i started watching it yesterday and then i had to stop because um uh, unfortunately uh, an actor uh that i am known for liking decided to tweet something really stupid and my phone started blowing up but i did finish it last <laughs> night um benedetta so Matt, you may not know this, but that Paul Verhoeven guy, he's a pretty good director. Uh, holy shit. Did I love (laughs) Benedetta, man that I, wow. I don't even know. Like I liked old Henry more because old Henry's a much more enjoyable watch than Benedetta, Mm -hmm. but wow. What a piece of friggin' cinema Benedetta is.
0: I, yeah, I really want to see it. I, uh, I know I, we talked about Verhoeven recently. He's pretty good. As you said, we talked about total recall me and Carmelita and I, she brought up Benedetta, I believe, and said she was a little mixed on it or was like undecided how she felt about it uh, um, or conflicted, I guess. And uh, I don't, I've re- I want to see it since I heard about it. Cause I'm like, Holy shit, Paul Verhoeven doing a like, <laughs> I guess, scathing indictment of the Catholic church, like sexy nun movie, whatever, whatever the whole, whatever all sounded crazy. And I was like, he's the guy for that. Like that signed me up. And, uh, yeah, I've kind of been waiting to, for it again, I'm being cheap. I don't know why. And like, just waiting for hit a streaming service like that, I'm like, I'll see it eventually. Um, but it, I, you know, it looks, I saw the trailer. It looks amazing. Um, it's three movies you mentioned have all been on my radar for like a bit now and I need to like see all three of them. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it sounds like you love benedetto so please tell me more about it
1: yeah i mean it, it just it's one of those things you know i typically roll my eyes a little bit when people say um oh i was watching this or that and then i watched this movie from such and such director and i was like oh this is a real movie you know kind of slamming netflix movies or, or marvel movies or stuff like that um i watched this movie and i was like oh fuck this is a real movie <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, I was like, like, I've said that before, I'm like I know I, it's like, but sometimes it's such a stark contrast. I mean, it's, sometimes you watch something that's so like, I don't know, just kind of run of the mill or not inspired, and then you watch something from like a great director, and you're like, holy shit, this is a movie, like this is really something.
1: <laughs> well, I saw, I saw most said uh, about the Last Duel, which I watched, and I really enjoyed the Last Duel, but I didn't really have this like overwhelming thing of like oh yeah, this is a master at work. I 100% did with Benettona. Just the the Verhoeven's framing and, and his blocking and his lighting and, and everything. You know, and it's it's essentially mostly a single location movie. It's, you know, 90%. So it's, it's a very contained movie for the most part. Um, and so it doesn't have this huge budget. It doesn't have the scope of, you know, Starship Troopers or anything like that. But just the command of the camera and and his craft that verhoeven has is it was just so refreshing to see because it's also not this gritty grimy movie it's it's actually incredibly glossy and and that was not something that i was expecting i wasn't expecting this sort of hard-hitting like you said condemnation of the catholic church but also um you know kind of weird mystery type movie because the, the whole thing without getting into any spoilers is the movie never takes any sides on whether benedetta is in fact you know channeling god or she's a complete con artist like the movie just sort of refuses to take a side on that and that's a tough tightrope to walk so i can see why some people might not like it. Uh, certainly, I can imagine if you have, a, even if you're not Catholic anymore, if you have a Catholic upbringing, there's some stuff that might rub you the wrong way. I have no religion in me whatsoever.
0: So <laughs> it, it, it didn't, yeah.
1: You know, none of that bothered me or phased me, But, um, but just even just the look of the movie was so, I hate to use the word professional because that feels like it's not a compliment, but it is. It was so professional and so competent and just absolutely beautiful that I was like, Right, Paul Verhoeven knows what he's doing, sure. sure. That guy. Right, right, he's good at this. Like I, I, yeah, I forget that sometimes that, that we, we have directors who are actually very good at what they do.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, it's not, I don't think it's like a slam of other things. There's just, you almost forget there's these directors who are like, and it sounds kind of pretentious, I don't know, masters. There's guys who are just so good at this that they could do it you know without much effort and they they make everyone else kind of look bad because they're so good you know it's it's like like i was saying with i think yeah last duel. i think i mentioned that i'd watch some real crap before i watched last duel that helps look make last duel look much better too but um i was like oh this is so professionally made i don't it was just i don't know it's i, I i'm at a loss for words but there's just guys who are just so good at the craft of filmmaking that it's like you watch them and it's just like you're in good hands too. You're like, I'm in the hands of a, a professional, <laughs> like who knows what they're doing. And Verhoven's a guy who I feel like always is like really ballsy and like taking risks and, you know, just very bold in what he's doing, you know? Um, so I don't know. He's just a very special filmmaker. I'm so glad we talked about him recently. Cause I was in like me and Carmelita were just like over the moon with like total recall and Verhoeven. We're like, this guy's like just one of the best. He's so good. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, it, you know, he's one of those directors that I I tend to, you know, I I don't know other than maybe Hollow Man, I don't think he's made a bad movie, and yet he's one of those directors that, in between him putting out movies, I tend to just kind of forget about, you know, and then he puts out a new movie and I watch it and I'm like, why am I forgetting about Paul Verhoeven? <laughs> I'm like, why why am I not? i mean (laughs) robocop one of my favorite movies of all time and yet why am i still forgetting about paul verhoeven um and this late stage sort of almost trilogy that he did of black book ellie and now benedetta is a i think a really fascinating run for him because he's he's going much more back to his older work like uh you know Spetters and 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 some of his other earlier movies. And but now with the confidence and the skill set of the man who directed Total Recall and Starship Troopers. And so he's making these fairly contained character-driven dramas, but with the eye and the touch and the ability of a blockbuster filmmaker. And it's just fucking terrific um you know i i was just scrolling through my list and we don't really need to talk about it i've mentioned it before i I, you know i see on my diary i watched eternals a couple weeks ago and just contrasting and i hate to use the mcu you know i love the mcu but i contrasting what chloe zhao is doing in eternals versus what verhoeven's doing in benedetta and just the way those movies look i do get why some people say you know oh i'm watching a real movie after they just watched like the Eternals uh, because nothing about the Eternals is like opulent or rich or, or visually all that interesting. Whereas every single frame in Benedetta is interesting. There's something in every single shot of that movie to catch your eye, to, to keep you engaged in a movie that for the most part is a couple of nuns having sex and some people getting pissed off about it. I mean, it's not like this (laughs) is a world ending epic here, you know, (laughs) <laughs> it still manages to keep you riveted for two and a half hours.
0: Yeah, I yeah, it sounds incredible. I really, I gotta see that one. And um, it's funny, yeah, about Eternals too. Where it's like, and to be fair, I will just defend Chloe Zhao, and I I'm with you because like that movie, it feels kind of soulless. But I'm sure Paul Verhoeven probably had maybe full control of that movie, where I'm sure she was dealing with all kinds of. No.
1: No question. No MCU question.
0: stuff, you know, but, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny you say that too. Like, I feel like I always say like, Oh, I really like the MCU movies. And then I, end I end up bashing. I feel like I'm bashing them a lot, even though I don't mean to, I kind of use them as like a, a, a example or I, cause I want them to be better. I think, cause they have all these resources and I'm like, just be, you know, I don't know off topic, but anyway, well, so
2: I mean,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: totally off topic, but you know what you've had Mark Warner on. It's okay for us to go on. <laughs> It's true, as uh-huh. many people have told me, it, you go on tangents, it's fine. Um, but uh, but, but yeah, mm-hmm.
1: the MCUs they had a bit of a rough year last year. They, I don't know, I used to never use them as examples, but for me, uh, 2021 was a bit of a rough year. I, I didn't until Spider Man, I did not love a single MCU movie that came out last year, and so I think that's part of why I've started using them a little bit more in my examples because I just uh. And then Spider-Man came out and for me, you know, restored my faith and I'm completely in love with that. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> yes, me too. That yeah. I mean, I, I, the only one that I really didn't like was Eternals. I, I liked Black Widow. I really liked Shang-Chi. Um, and then Spider-Man was just like, I think my number three of 2021, like I loved it. Um. But it was, I think for them, they probably maybe say it was a down year. I don't know. I don't know how Marvel gauges their success, but they, uh, uh, Eternals, they probably was one, they probably like, oh, that didn't quite, uh, hit like we wanted it to, but, uh, I'm sure they will be, they will be just fine over there. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, I will now, now I have to pick between watching old Henry or beta test or, uh, Benedetta tonight. Cause I feel like I want to watch one of those like immediately. (laughs) I would say go with old,
1: go with old Henry, old Henry. I feel like is the most satisfying because, uh, the beta test doesn't quite get there. And Benedetta is, uh, a much more difficult, challenging movie, which is great. Um, but old Henry is just so like almost (laughs) spiritually satisfying. Like it is just such a satisfying movie. Like you will get done with it and you will be like, my belly is full on (laughs) cinematic goodness. Um, oh sorry there's sorry matt there's one other thing i did want to bring up that i started watching last night it's not a movie but i just it's on the brain man have you started watching reacher yet
0: because holy shit. <laughs> no but you and everybody on twitter has made me want to watch reacher so bad <laughs> and like I'm just satisfying wow <laughs> I, i'm not it i'm not even i always joke about like i don't really watch shows that much like i don't watch a lot of tv shows but like you guys everybody like everybody on twitter was talking about reacher yesterday and uh Brandon Streisdink, I think, wrote a review of it and the stuff he had to say about it got me really excited and everybody watching it yesterday, um, like mostly Action Twitter, just losing their minds over Reacher. And I was like, Jesus Christ, I got to go watch Reacher. And I was like, well, I saw I see it's only eight episodes on Amazon Prime. I was like, I could probably I can I can handle that. I can do that. (laughs) So it's not too big an ask.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not done with it yet, but I know they're adapting the first book. So it will I mean, the season will be self-contained like it will end you know and then if it comes back for another season they'll adapt another book so it's not one of those things where it's gonna be like a continuing season you can it's eight episodes you can watch it and be done with it if you're if you're so inclined but yeah matt matt (laughs) okay y'all gotta watch reacher
0: yeah it no it sounds great i was like this does sound like a lot of fun i uh i might do it i have a little bit of gap between uh even i think doing podcasts like for shows here so i have a little time to probably catch up on some tv shows so uh i gotta yeah i ever i was like you were buzzing about reacher i was like holy shit i gotta watch reacher now so uh i'm in i'm sold i will uh at least give the first episode a shot and then i it's not like i'll be sucked in immediately but we'll we'll see so i'll give it i'll give it a chance at least yeah i mean
1: absolutely it's one of those where if if you watch it and you don't like the first episode just walk away because that that first episode is the show so like if the if there's nothing that's going to happen in subsequent episodes it's going to hook you if that first episode doesn't hook you i'm 97 percent confident it will hook you but yeah if you don't like the first episode just just go about your business because you, there's no reason to watch the rest of the show
0: okay, okay. I, i'll give it a shot uh so all right cool um so I guess I'll talk about some stuff. I have, I have a very random assortment of things. I'm going to like the first thing here is kind of I won't go into each of these. I kind of a bundle it up here, kind of three for one, because I got on a Wes Anderson kick who, speaking of directors that I never count as my favorite or never really go to bat for or don't think I'm a fan of. But then basically every Wes Anderson movie I've at least enjoyed or loved to some degree because. um I watched the Royal Tenenbaums for the first time, which I think is like cinephile, like a sin or something that I took 20 years to watch Royal Tenenbaums. uh, And I loved Royal Tenenbaums. I thought it was amazing. Like, I was like, yes, this movie is great. Uh, Everybody's great in this. It's funny. Um, It's got some great dramatic beats. Uh, Gene Hackman is great. I mean, everybody, it's just a really great movie. And I'm like, oh, this is wonderful. And that sent me down a path of like Wes Anderson stuff for a couple of days and I rewatched Rushmore for the first time in like I don't know since I was like a teenager in high school and rented the DVD from the the video store and that was still fun and, the, and then I watched The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou Zissou uh with Bill Murray which was my least favorite but it was still that movie uh is it feels like Wes Anderson really finding more modern I feel like he turns at that point because like Rushmore and Royal Bombs don't feel quite as like completely perfect as a lot of his movies feel like they're very like manicured and very you know and Life Aquatic gets more into that like very I don't know, artsy or like it's more colorful and just kind yeah. of like m- Yeah, his aesthetic,
1: pivotal pivotal movie. And, you know, what's become sort of known as his aesthetic that everybody criticizes.
0: Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I was going to say all those really quick and then just kind of ask, because I don't know how you feel, Wes Anderson. I don't know if you're you like him or you don't like him or I'm just kind of curious. I'm I'm
1: you know, I might be the only person in the world who is completely. Ambivalent i'm sweden or i'm switzerland sorry (laughs) apologies to the to the swiss uh i'm switzerland when it comes to wes anderson i like some of his movies i don't like some of his movies most of the time i don't rush out to see any of them um i I, he's got he's got two movies that i really really love and then the rest are typically kind of just one-time watches for me but i don't hate any of them. I, I've never seen even even I agree with you. I think The Life Aquatic is probably his worst movie, although I know lots of people would argue Darjeeling Limited is. Um, and, I, and I think that's fair. I think those are probably both, you know, kind of in the competition for his worst movies. And And frankly, if your worst movie is The Life Aquatic. Uh, or Darjeeling Limited, like you're doing pretty friggin' good as a director, right? <laughs> because most directors would kill to make a movie as "quote unquote" bad as The Life Aquatic. So right, right. <laughs> it is weird to me that I don't like The Life Aquatic because you know we were chatting about this because that's the one that was co-written by my boy Noah Baumbach. That's my thing. I've always been a bigger Noah Baumbach guy, and and he and Anderson came up together at their friends, and they cover similar sort of. Especially when they started, they covered sort of similar ground in their movies with a similar, that sort of New York kind of upper middle class white guy ennui style. They, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and I, I always gravitated more towards Baumbach because he was always a little more, I feel like, uh, crotchety, and uh, I'm a crotchety dude, uh, whereas uh Anderson's a little more whimsical but that being said I adore royal Tenenbaums. um I haven't watched it for years because again it's not just not one that I want to revisit but I love that movie I think everything in that movie is great and then the one that I do revisit which is weird and <laughs> I don't know many people that would say this uh my favorite Wes Anderson movie is The Fantastic Mr Fox I fucking love The Fantastic Mr Fox that movie is a delight to me every time I watch it so oh.
0: Yeah, that one's great too. Um, I watched that first a couple of years a few years ago, kind of on a whim, and I was like, Oh, this is this is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a really like I think the, the word delightful would apply to that movie. <laughs> it's, it's
1: the one of Anderson's movies because a lot of Anderson's movies, you know, I think could fairly be sort of characterized as comedies. Hmm. Um, but Mr. Fox is the only one that I like is a laugh out loud comedy to me. Like the fact that they keep saying, like, they 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 don't swear. They say cuss. You know what the cuss? cuss. Oh yeah. Like oh my god, that <laughs> I cannot get enough of that. And then, um, oh the one rat that's like the like, kung fu master at the end. Like oh man, I love that movie. So yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of love for Wes Anderson, but when I do love him, I seem to really really love him, as you can see. Um, and I think all those movies that you watched are you know good solid watches. Uh. So, and, and most importantly, it's important to watch him. I mean, Wes Anderson's an important filmmaker. You, you should, you know, see his movies and at least revisit a couple of them periodically.
0: Yeah, I, uh, it's, it, that's why it's funny. Cause like when I, I don't think I love him, but then I watch his movies. I'm like, I, I love this sometimes Moonrise Kingdom. I think maybe my, my favorite currently. Um, I love that. I saw it maybe like first time a couple of years ago and loved that one. Uh, Cause I, I'd only seen like Bottle Rocket and Rushmore for the longest time and hadn't caught up and, uh, cause I didn't think he was my guy. I don't, I didn't like the whole like twee aesthetic. I guess you can tweet, maybe don't be the right word, but it's just like well, this very twee is a pretty, pretty, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty tweet. It's, I didn't think I liked that whole thing. It felt very like kind of preppy pretentious. I, I that's why I felt, but then I'm watching these and I'm like, okay, it's not as is that, is that <laughs> it still kind of is, but it's not, I don't know how to describe it, but, um, I still haven't seen Darjeeling limited. I hear a lot of people say that's his worst one. I think, I think that's like, Pretty universally bagged on. It's his worst movie. Um and uh I still haven't seen Grand Budapest Hotel, which I think I heard is one of his best movies. Um and yeah. haven't seen. Oh, sorry. you
1: like you'll like Grand Budapest Hotel. I, I think given what you're saying about the movies of his that you've watched, I think you'll really dig that one.
0: That's what I'm hoping for, because I've heard great things. And I haven't seen French Dispatch, but that just came out end of last year. So I got to catch up with that one. But so it's one of those things with a filmmaker where you're like, I don't think I'm a big fan of this guy. And then you watch a few movies and you're like, maybe I am a big fan of this person. (laughs) Like, and Life Aquatic was weird too. Back to that one. Like that was, that one was, it felt, I think the problem with that one is that it felt very, I thought, self-indulgent at points. (laughs) And like, it's like almost two hours long. Um, It just felt very much like, he had a big hit with roll tandem bombs and big critical success with roll tandem bombs then got to every once and uh you know makes this movie that's a little bit uh, but weirdly goes into an action
1: movie at the end like, yeah it, uh,
0: yeah <laughs> which i kind of enjoyed actually but because it was like a surprise action movie in the middle of a Wes Harrison movie out of nowhere but um there, and there was stuff i absolutely loved in life aquatic like i think the the ending was great i'm thinking of that right off the top of my head there's there's moments there's lines there's some performances i thought bill murray actually still was really good um like so there's it's stuff there's like super there's some highs there's some lows i don't know it was just very interesting to go through his movies that quickly uh and kind of be like i guess i'm a wes anderson fan i don't know but now (laughs) to pivot from that i was tired of all the wes anderson i think you'll appreciate this i was tired of all that classy stuff so i needed some canon in my life i need some canon films and i watched enter the ninja on amazon prime (laughs) With Franco Nero, <laughs> Nero, uh, yeah, uh, what white a Italian ninja! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the white Italian ninja who's from, I believe, Texas or somewhere. Like he's from, they because the first trivia I saw about Enter the Ninja was that Franco Nero refused to do any kind of like accents, like a, like a, They wanted to be from Texas or somewhere like that. Here they dubbed him, and he's very clearly dubbed in the movie. <laughs> like, um. I had no idea for years what Franco Nero, because
1: the first Franco Nero movie I ever saw was Enter the Ninja when I was like five, because, again, my parents way too flexible on what I got to watch, <laughs> uh, you know, and then like I went into stuff like later I went into stuff like Django and that where, again, he's dubbed in the English versions. And um, and so it wasn't until like years I was probably in my 20s when I finally figured out, oh shit, Franco Nero's got like an Italian, like he's got like an Italian accent. I thought he was just a dude who talked like this all the time, you know, I didn't realize he had like this
0: smooth Italian accent. Uh, like, yeah, it was
1: so weird.
0: I can imagine, yeah, it was, because he's so, yeah, he's dubbed in this with this very like, I don't know, just generic type sounding voice, and and, and it's a weird, wild movie. I, I, I had fun, it was not boring, I will say that. Um, maybe not a technical masterpiece um but um it did get uh show kasugi uh over here um and um he's in he's pretty great in it uh i'm trying to think who else it has an amazing bad guy death i like like it's um a kind of a spoiler but it's an action movie so the bad guy dies you know uh when christopher george gets killed it's, do you remember this? Moment?
1: I don't, I don't actually remember how he gets killed. It's been so, so I, I, um, we'll get to it, but I don't, I don't revisit this one very often. So I don't remember how Christopher oh, okay. George, uh, human, what is it that Patrick calls him? Human, oh, C- human
0: cigarette, Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's yeah, he's a great slimy, like the business bad guy. He's not like the physical bad guy. He's the, yeah, the money guy. And, uh, he it was it was funny because years ago on like YouTube someone made like a clip reel of like these movie moments like it was like the worst line reading the most ridiculous bad guy death and I'd seen this bad guy death didn't know put, so Christopher George is like standing there with like a gun and <laughs> Frank Camiro throws a ninja star at him and it hits him and he's just like oh like in in all in slow motion and it goes on for what feels like forever because he's and he's just kind of like. Uh, it's a visual thing you need to see me doing it but um just the slowest thing it just goes on forever and he's just like making this noise and then like falls over a rail i believe but it's just um when you see it you're like that was ridiculous um uh, you know I, i i liked it i guess but i like canon stuff i think a lot of people would think it's kind of shitty but uh it's i definitely had fun. I it was kind of the the palate cleanser i needed after a bunch of classy Wes anderson movies.
1: Well, and i think, you know, i think it's important to to point out that it's, you know, they could cast franco nero because they knew the entire uh final climax, you know, he'd be in a ninja suit. So it's and it's very clearly not franco. Like they're right. yeah. not even similar. Like you, you get cuz at this point in his career, franco nero had, you know, he was he was a little bit removed from his heyday. So he was a little um he he let's just say he was not in peak physical condition. And so then uh, when you got this ninja who's this like live stunt person, you know, it's, <laughs> I think the biggest problem with it is its biggest problem is it's just it's by far the worst of the canon ninja films. I mean, I don't think there's really any competition Uh Revenge of the Ninja is massively improved. Ninja three is massively more bonkers. <laughs> I've the American, seen that one. Yeah. <laughs> American Ninja movies are, they have Steve James, they have secret weapon, Steve James, like, like they can't all the Canon it's important because it started the Canon Ninja movies, but every other Canon Ninja movie is better, I think, or at least of, you know, sort of the big well-known
0: ones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what I thought I heard that like they get better after this. This is, and, uh, is it revenge of the Ninja the one that was shot in salt lake city? Hell Europe?
1: yeah. Buddy. If you ever come to salt lake city, I'll take you on a revenge of the ninja tour. I used to play <laughs> in the playground where they have a big fight in that one. Uh, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's, You know, there's a lot of movies that are shot in Utah. As anybody who follows me on Twitter knows, cause I shout it out every time. I'm so weirdly proud of a state that I hate. Um, uh, <laughs> but but uh revenge of the ninja is one of the few that's been shot in salt lake city where i can literally be like yes i know where that is i could take you to that location right now um you know like halloween 4 was shot here but they go out of their way to make it not look like salt lake oh uh-huh. <laughs> revenge of the ninja literally i if i remember right it's been i think it actually takes i don't remember if they pretend it's la Or if it is Salt Lake City, because all the cars have Utah license plates. So even if they're pretending it's like L.A., they're not hiding it very well. Oh, wow. (laughs)
0: that's Yeah. (laughs) Sounds fantastic. Uh, Yeah, that one I've already seen. I did see Ninja 3, which is, as you said, truly bonkers. I've never looked at a can of V8 juice the same ever again.
1: I I love that you get Flashdance the Exorcist in a ninja movie all in (laughs) 93 minutes. Like, come on, people. How is this not the height of cinema? Like, oh, you can come at me with your fucking, you know, horse rider, a 24 movie, whatever. No, Ninja 3 is as good as cinema will ever get.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's it has to be seen to be believed, it is bananas like that movie. So, um, gotta watch Revenge Ninja, complete the trilogy now, and then I can be like, Oh, Salt Lake City, we <laughs> it's like, um, I've only had the experience with one movie. I live in uh, like Virginia Beach, I live I, one city over, but no one knows the city I'm in. I say Virginia Beach, but I'm one city, I'm next door to Virginia Beach, and I've only had that with a movie called Night Killer, aka Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, which is like an Italian kind of uh horror movie with a guy in a Freddy Krueger mask and they shot in Virginia beach for, I don't know what reason. <laughs> and, uh, but they're driving on the streets. And I'm like, I know those streets. That's the only time I've had that experience is with this weird Italian horror movie.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's actually funny. There's, there's a movie called forever strong. It's a rugby movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was based on my high school's rugby team. Um, and actually, includes events that happened while i was in high school i didn't play rugby but i was friends with a couple of the players there's a one of our friends got got killed by a drunk driver and that's in the movie which that was fucking surreal to watch uh but my point is that movie wasn't filmed in salt lake city revenge of the ninja is more salt lake city than the movie about my goddamn high school
0: (laughs) oh wow that's oh man that is (laughs) that is pretty funny actually (laughs) i wonder i i was just i wonder what drove Cannon to shoot wrench or yeah of the ninja in salt lake city i mean i know it looks beautiful i just they were like we gotta put this ninja movie in salt lake city and uh, yeah i remember reading somewhere there is a book it's in the um
1: it's in sam so sam Furstenberg, the director of most of these ninja movies he uh put out a sort of a bio- autobiography that I haven't read because it's apparently it's like 800 pages I guess oh. it's fascinating wow <laughs> it's up front and like is out there about everything but I guess it's basically a tome uh but he I remember somebody telling me that it had something to do with it um a Salt Lake was cheap because Utah gives massive that's why so many movies are filmed here a we've got the great scenery but we also give mass we give like you know, Vancouver level tax breaks to oh, shoot, okay. <laughs> and uh, and B, um, it had the locations that he wanted. We had it, there was a a tall building that they were going to let him shoot on the top of, and it had important things that he wanted. It had both a swimming pool and a helicopter pad, um, and, you know. And so there's just there was some stuff that he wanted, but yeah, it it is kind of weird that like of all these movies that have been shot in Utah, like. Most of them are shot down South in like Moab and St. George and stuff where, you know, that's where all the red rocks and you shoot all the Westerns and the searchers and, you know, all of those movies shot down there. Revenge of the Ninja is like the one that is like, Nope, we're going to just Salt Lake city
0: pride. Like,
1: (laughs) like not even SLC punk is as Salt Lake city as revenge of the ninja is
0: (laughs) oh man okay well i gotta i gotta see that at some point because that one sounds fun and better than Interview the ninja so that that sounds like a good time <laughs> it's 100 percent better there's okay. there's
1: his show now the hero and he gets to just do uh all his show kasugi stuff um uh the only thing that is the same that's similar is at this time the bad guy is the out of shape white guy who uh, all of a sudden becomes a cut ninja when he puts <laughs> That's the thing is it's Kasugi in the ninja suit, ninja suits this time. So, you know, he's doing everything, right? The bad guy is uh, some stunt guy who's in, you know, much better shape than the bad guy actually is. Oh man.
0: <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Well, last thing I'm going to mention, and uh, I think you'll be happy about this. I, a movie I blind bought, I think at your recommendation, uh, and you guys talked recently on action River. I think just last week when I, this is being recorded about how, Vinegar Syndrome is putting out a lot of 90s DTV action movies, which is good because it's an underserved kind of genre for getting physical media. So I watched TC 2000 with Hell the lead- yes.
2: <laughs> <Hell yes. laughs>
0: uh, a movie when they announced it. I was like, oh, my God, I'd seen that VHS cover so many times in the video store as a kid and thought it looked really fucking cool. But I think I couldn't rent it probably because it's radar or something, and I wasn't allowed to rent it. Or, um, and I, you, I think, recommended you were like, <laughs> I think you came into the chat, you were like, guys, it was like all the new vinegar syndrome releases TC 2000. Yes, like you vouched for it. And I said, all right, that's good enough for me. Um, and I had fun with it again, kind of like Enter a Ninja, like not a, uh, technically, uh, you know, <laughs> like not, not like an amazing masterpiece of filmmaking. I could probably not tell you the plot at all in this moment besides an apocalyptic future, Um, but it's got great, it's got a lot of great like martial artists in it, Uh, Billy Blanks, Bolo Young, uh, Matthias Hughes, um, and I can't, Jalal Mariah, I I still don't pronounce his name, (laughs) he also did Tiger Claws. Yeah, we um, we had
1: this discussion on A4E. <laughs> I've always pronounced it Yolal Marie, but uh but Vern was like, Is is that how is that how it's pronounced? I'm like, you know, I honestly don't know. I've never heard the man's name. That's just my entire life. Cause you know, obviously I grew up watching all these movies. He's right and you know, I would watch on HBO. I've just always pronounced it Yolal Marie. Uh, but yes, the star of Tiger Claws. Uh <laughs>
0: Another thing I watched recently that I also enjoyed. Um, But yeah, TC2000. I know it's your, I call it your beloved TC2000. I I just, I mean, it's kind of like some crazy mishmash of like Robocop and Terminator and, uh, you know, uh, Mad Max and all these things kind of coming together. But like with, I thought, very good uh, fight scenes, like really good action. (laughs) And uh, Billy Blanks, his name is Jason Storm, which is like one of the best, like you know lead guy in an action movie names ever um and the funny thing was the cover was kind of misleading because i really thought he was like a terminator type guy um that is not quite the case he's just like a security guard who i believe was a like a normal man who's good at, you know martial arts um and they bobby phillips is like the female co-lead who she kind of becomes the terminator robocop type you know thing um I, you know, it, I don't know what to say because I I can't recount the plot, but goddamn, did I have a good time. So, yeah, it was it was <laughs> yeah. it was fun. So it's one of those movies, you know, this is what I kind of miss. The
1: amount of movies that that I used to get, you know, when people ask me, why, why do you like cheap action and all that stuff so much is because I would spend like I would literally just, you know, record HBO overnight or stay up late and watch whatever dumb action movies are out there. And so, you know, you're flipping through the channels and you see something called Tiger Claws, you know, (laughs) and you settle in and watch it. And it's like, Oh, well it's got Cynthia Rothrock in it. Or, you know, yeah, TC 2000. At that point, I was kind of familiar with who Billy Blanks was because I had seen a couple of his movies. The big one is I had seen showdown, which is still my favorite Billy Blanks movie. And I fucking adore that movie, you know? And so of course I watched, I actually think I rented TC 2000. I don't even think I watched that one on HBO, but it is wild to me. And I love people who are, I'm going to use Brandon as an example, because, you know, Brandon's 15 years younger than me, um Brandon Streisnig, and, you know, he's been just flipping shit for all <laughs> these like, 90s action movies. And I love it because I love seeing younger people watch these things because the thing that I think is amazing about them is like you said, look, I don't, I don't know what the plot of TC 2000 is. You know, here's what I know. I know that it's got a lot of cool people in it. I know that I had a mad crush on Bobby Phillips and rewatching it. That has not gone away.
0: (laughs) Um, uh, I get it. I get it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And this cheap knockoff RoboCop movie if we got a a movie today that had fights as good as what we got in Tiger Claws or TC 2000, people would be flipping shit. And those movies came out every goddamn week, <laughs> like 1992, right? Yeah, like every- yeah you get the video store, there was a Gary Daniels movie or a yolal Mary movie or a Billy Blanks movie, or, you know, they, they just, they came out every friggin' week and you got movies with fight scenes that currently, you know, at least in terms of movies that get released in theaters, you know, only the John Wick movies are doing. Um, and that's, that's, I think, why people are, are kind of, as they're finding them, are kind of losing their minds for them uh because we just don't we don't get movies like this anymore people always talk about mid-budget movies for adults and man screw that i mean i love those movies too but screw that give give me tc 2000s again We're not, we don't even get those and
0: yeah yeah this is a real golden age for these dtv action movies in the 90s and i it's so funny because I see so many of them. I like, I would wander the video store when I was like a little kid. Cause I was pr- very young in the nineties and I would want so many of them, but I wouldn't be allowed to have so many of them. So it was like every week it was like me kind of like, just kind of wandering down the aisle, looking at all these cool covers like TC 2000 or all, you know, I, I tried to, I saw one recently, like uh, Billy D. Williams movie that was like, look super cool called like full eclipse or something. And I was like, Oh, I remember that one. Like, um, and yeah, they're just, they, they were pumping them out like crazy. Like you said, like there was new ones all the time. And yeah, I, I know I've been reading like Brandon, he kind of inspired me to watch Tiger Claw because he wrote about Tiger Claws a couple, week or two ago and uh, just hyped it up. And I had the the VSA vinegar syndrome and I was like, I should probably unwrap that. And I, and Tiger Claws was fun too. Like they're not gonna, I don't know if they're gonna like blow people's minds or, you know, th- you have. I think you also have to have an affinity for those things. Cause I think like, if somebody walked in, I was watching it and they didn't care, they'd be like, this looks like a piece of shit. And i like, well, you don't get it. Like, you know, these are, these are good. Like there's actual martial artists. that are doing like real, you know, good fights. Um, like, yeah, I mean, they don't have a lot of money, but they have people that can actually do the choreography and can do these, you know, really well done fight scenes. Like TC 2000, I was thinking like, there's a quote, it might be Patrick Bromley, but somebody is like, Low budget does not equal low effort, which I think is a great motto for a lot of these like '90s action movies. Like they don't have a lot of money, but I feel like they're putting the work in where they can, even though they can't afford special effects or all these things. But like, they can have good fight scenes, you know, at the at the least. Yeah, um, I mean, that's, yeah,
1: that's the thing that they understood the most, and this is one of the reasons, you know, I've always championed um, a certain man who decided to be an idiot this weekend, Uh but. But um, but it's your special effect is Billy Blanks like right. you don't need special your special effect is Bolo Young like like you <laughs> got special effects there all you Cynthia Rothrock is a fucking special effect all you need to do is let Cynthia Rothrock do what Cynthia Rothrock does and those movies back then kind of at least the good ones which are, are admittedly like look I, I'm not going to wax nostalgic here there was a lot of shit that came out in that era that vinegar syndrome ain't picking up you know what I'm saying
0: <laughs> yeah yeah but
1: the good ones um, that's what they were smart enough to do is is just realize that their special effects are their stars and let their stars do you know Billy Blaine's Billy Blaine's abs are better than any special effect that Marvel or uh, Warner <laughs> Is kicking out, you know, <laughs> like that's just a fact of life,
0: exactly. Yeah, and like I, DTV action has been such a uh, I would, I would shit upon genre for the longest time, and I think people write the whole thing off. They're like, oh, those straight to video or straight to streaming action movies. I'm like, ah, oh, they're all bad. That is absolutely not the case, you've just got to. You know, do you know find the good ones and give them a chance? I think some people just write them off, like ah, oh, they're cheap, you know. So, um, yeah, I'm happy that they are. Benigristone's actually putting the stuff out and finding good stuff, and uh yeah, it's all been fun so far. Like, I really enjoy revisiting those. So we're just you know seeing them for the first time. I mean, um, yeah, but, uh, it, yeah.
1: MVD is also doing great work with those. Oh yeah, uh, you know, yeah. they're the ones that put out Showdown. They put out Nemesis. They, they love- put out
0: Drive. <laughs>
1: they put out drive yeah um they actually put out one that I don't of all these that that get talked about MVd put out one called my samurai that's actually I had never even seen it I didn't even remember this movie getting released and I I picked it up and uh it's totally enjoyable like it's it's super entertaining it's it's basically a uh my bodyguard knockoff only this kid's bodyguard is this you know friggin ninja um and he's not a samurai and actually if i remember right he's korean but uh nonetheless yeah it's it's uh it's a lot of fun it's it's well worth checking out uh of you know as you're going through these dtv movies and i just i don't see that one get talked about very much maybe i'll need to uh i'll need to rewatch it and maybe write an article about it to try to get some eyes on it or something
0: yeah there you go I, i remember seeing that one the title intrigued me i was like my samurai what is that and uh Still, don't really know what it's about, but it's like, um, yeah, I remember they put it out. I was like, oh, that sounds cool. So, um, yeah, I'll be curious if you do rewatch that and if you write about it, uh, hear more thoughts on it. So, yeah, there's just a lot of these that have been kind of um, forgotten about or left behind, you know, in the 90s. So, uh, more people need put these out. So, I'm happy that it's kind of feels like it's happening a little bit. So, yeah. Um, so, speaking of the 90s, uh, a movie called Gross Point Blank came out in 1997. We're actually approaching the 25th anniversary of this movie. Did you realize that recently?
1: I did not. Uh, somebody, when I tweeted that I was re-watching it, somebody said that it's the 25th anniversary, and I, I hadn't put that together. I am actually trying to figure out, is 1997 my favorite movie year ever? I think it might be. I'm going through the releases and man, damn near every single week, there's a friggin' banger. Do you realize that Double Team came out the week before Gross Point Blank? Like, oh my god,
0: <laughs> that! <laughs> How happy was Mike Scott for that two weeks of 1997?
1: <laughs> I almost as happy as I was during the month of June when I got. Uh, con air and face off in the same month which oh God never,
0: I always forget they're the same month that's amazing. Never. <laughs> no 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 month ever will will ever
1: <laughs> compete with that.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, I forgot they were the same month. I, 97 is always one of those years that I would put up as one of the best years for movies ever. Like I I would say like 99, 97, 82 probably um People, I think fell out 84, I like, but I, yeah, 97, 99 are like two really great years for movies. Like, um, I got to go look up 97 movies now, but it's, it's, oh man, it was such a good time. Uh, and yeah, this movie, I think came out in April of 97. So we're, we're getting close to 25th anniversary, but it's this year anyway, so we can still see it, but yeah. <laughs> um, so, and we had joked about this beforehand before we get really into it, that, uh, this is just this is so funny to me. So Gross Point Blank, a movie you love. We talked about doing this for a long time. And I said, yeah, you can come on Film Feast, Talk about Gross Point Blank. It's fine. But I only watched it for the first time last year. And I rewatched it for this podcast. I've only seen it twice. And then you told me, go ahead and tell me how many times you saw that movie. <laughs> I saw it twice the opening day. No, so
1: yeah, it opened it opened uh in April yeah, like you said, April 11th of 97, and I was gonna do a double feature because it opened with Anaconda, and I was gonna oh do a God, yes. Blank <laughs> and Anaconda. The problem is, I saw Gross Point Blank first, and I went, I, I fucking know Anaconda's not no. So I just went out and got a ticket for Gross Point Blank and watched Gross Point Blank again, and then I went and saw it. That would have been Friday, and then I saw it Saturday. And then again, Sunday. So I, I I saw this four times opening weekend. So I, opening weekend, I saw this twice as many times
0: as you've seen it in your life. <laughs> you got me beat in one weekend. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, that. So I know this is one of those times when it's like, this is like one of the movies, special to you. I am happy to be here along for the ride. I'm gonna try to keep up. I, and I do really like this movie. I'll say that right at the top. Like I watched first time last year and I was like, oh, this is great. So glad I finally caught up with it. Watch it again this time was just as good if not even a little bit better the second time around um and i watch a lot of movies and watching this again this time it, it I, I didn't realize how much had really stuck with me in the movie i was like oh okay i remember this beat and this is happening but in this line i like i was like okay That's this really nuts. did yeah yeah it left an impression like it really which is impressive because with many movies i watched and I was like, oh i really like yeah i remembered most of this um so i listen let's just start off like you saw it four times opening weekend i just you tell you blown away by way right away. So do you want to talk about why you love this movie so much right at the top?
1: Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is well, it's kind of it's kind of what you just said. It leaves an impression. I mean, I, I think I tweeted this out. You know, every line in this movie, th- this script is so good and so tight. and there's a lot of controversy over who wrote the script and how they did it and stuff like that. but but the script as filmed, what what's on the screen is so good and so tight that every line in this movie would be most other movies, best lines, like throwaway lines in this movie are better than most other movies, best lines. That's how good (laughs) this script is. I mean, just, just everything from, you know, I always think about the, uh, as they're going into the, going into the reunion and, uh, he says, I should have brought my gun and, under his breath. And she goes, what was that? And he goes, this should be fun. You know, I, <laughs> there's, there's just so many. <laughs> or Like, I'm not going to recite the whole movie, but when she hands him the name tags and she's like, I put our yearbook pictures on so everybody would know who everybody was. And Cusack goes, oh, it's a special torture. Like, there's <laughs> so, like, come on. That, that That's like in your trailer in most other movies. And that's not even like, that's just a throwaway gag in this movie um and then you add that in john Cusack giving i will stand and die on this hill the best performance he's ever given in his career this is the performance where everything that he does is most in sync because not only is he doing witty dialogue but his physical performance there's so many little things he does in this, you know, the way he gets twitchy if his back's to a window or um, every time he walks into a room. And that's I guess I'm going a little off track here, but that's one of the things I love about this movie. I've seen this movie. I don't even know how many times. And every time I watch it, I notice something new um, because every time he walks into a room, he does a He does a sweep of the room as he walks in. Um, it's very subtle it's not obvious but he's literally sweeping the room for like threats every room he walks into in the movie mm-hmm. until towards the end which bites him in the ass because he doesn't see Benny or Kiedez coming and then that's the other thing no movie that is this sort of romantic witty 90s comedy should have a fight that goes as Fucking hard as the fight between Benny Urquides and John Cusack does in this movie. That is one of, in my opinion, one of the best fights ever filmed.
0: Okay. So, wow. Yeah.
1: I love this movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. There was a lot of points that you just made. I want to jump into uh, the fight. I knew we were going to talk about the fight um, because it is really great. I was this time around. I was even. I actually went back and rewound that part a couple times because I was just trying to kind of watch it watch all the moves and just watch the fight and how they did it and um i was like god damn this is a good fight like it has impact like it's well jesus christ john cusack throws a fucking amazing sidekick at one point into like and i it's it's him his face is facing the camera like and i know apparently he trained in kickboxing with benny the jet is that yeah so on
1: uh on say anything because his character was a kickboxer they they brought in benny the jet to train him and Cusack just immediately fell in love with it and uh and and I don't know I might be misquoting I might be misremembering that maybe he was doing it before and he wanted Cameron Crowe to work that into the character either way it it was around the time of say anything and, and Benny the Jet was the uh kickboxing instructor on say anything and Cusack never stopped working with him um and in fact somebody kind of linked me to an article or, or something that uh, last night talking about Benny, the jet talking about that uh one of the toughest fighters he's ever worked with in a movie is John Cusack and that Cusack, if he had wanted to could have been a legit action star. And that is abundantly clear in gross point blank. I mean, yes, it is yeah. fun. Uh, not just the fighting, but the way he handles the guns, the way, the way he does all the action is But the other thing I love about that fight is how short it is because real fights don't last very long. You know, I I (laughs) love, I love martial arts fights. I love Jackie Chan doing all this stuff or Jet Li or Scott Adkins defying gravity and all this sort of stuff. But the reality is two hitmen trying to kill each other. That fight's going to be about 30 seconds, 30 (laughs) to 60 seconds long. Right. And, uh, (laughs) And they're gonna be whoever wins is going to be exhausted. And I love that he's covered in sweat and he's dirty and and he's got blood all over him and everything. And it's all you know, it all happens so damn fast, but it's so good and it's so well shot. Uh, again, I, this is one of those fight scenes where if it happened in a movie today, people would be you know, if it just randomly popped up in like a Marvel movie, you had a fight that went this hard, people would be flipping shit for it.
0: Yeah, it's, I, <laughs> it was very impressed by it. And like, I don't have like the level of like action, uh, movie fight IQ that you, that you do, but I feel like I could recognize a good fight or a bad fight. And, uh, this one, yeah. Well shot, well choreographed. Uh, I love that it's John Cusack doing from what I could tell almost all of it. I don't know if he like, if a double was used for me, like, a, I think he takes a fall at one point, but, um, really getting in there it's a scrappy fight but like you could tell that they're good fighters and like i love that point about too like real fights don't last that long it's like it's like a i don't know a minute or two and like and it's over and then he kill you know he kills beta jet and that that's it and he and yeah he's so exhausted and he's like sweaty and disheveled and uh it's just perfect and they drop this into this movie that i think you just would never expect this this fight to be in and uh yeah, it's great. I mean, I can't say enough good things about that fight. I I just wrote down in my notes, like the fight scene in the hallway, like it's to talk about in general. So I'm glad we just got right into that because I was, I got to get Mike's take on this fight.
1: <laughs> well, and it just comes out of nowhere too. Right. Yeah, <laughs> You know, and, and this was, this was the thing, you know, part of what blew me away in 97, seeing it the first time in the theater. And, and this fight was actually a big part of the reason that I was like, no, nope, fuck it. Fuck anaconda and then <laughs> anaconda i saw anaconda later and whatever it's fine but i don't regret my decision you know uh, was because this was also you know we're in the height of you know john Wu had come over in 93 ringo lamb had come over a couple years later so we're in the height of you know the the heyday of sort of hong kong action influencing hollywood movies for good and ill because you know we talk about the ones we love and and you know, even just a couple months later, we're getting face off. I mean, we're getting the ultimate American Hong Kong action movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's no way to expect a fight and shootouts on par with Hong Kong stuff in a movie called Gross Point Blank starring John Cusack. And you're sitting there the first time you watch this movie. You know, he and Minnie Driver have just reconciled. He's checking out. It's It's a whole like it's a whole like cute scene and everything and he's reminiscing and you know that the there's bad guys after him, and literally just out of nowhere Benny the Jet walks around the corner <laughs> and they just go they don't even have a conversation there's no like there's no squaring off like you would typically see in a fight like Benny walks around the corner and Cusack just goes and that blew 1997 Mikey's
0: brain <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> you Imagine, ju- yeah, that,
1: <laughs> yeah, like, like, where does that fight even come? Like, it just comes from out of nowhere. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm, oh, I don't want to oversell the fight, but like, man, just you don't see that even now. You, you never saw that. Um, this is that's the type of stuff that I think really makes this movie special.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. The fight comes out of nowhere. Like, like bandage. Yeah. When he walks in the corner, it's like, he comes out of nowhere. The fight comes out of nowhere. And, and it's. Just, and I don't want to oversell it either. I mean, it's very, like we say, it's not very, a very long fight, but I think people would be impressed with it just because of the, like the brutality of it, but also how, I don't know, just how good it is. I don't, uh, you know, we could talk about it for a while, I'm sure. But, um, and it's funny because the only other off the top of my head, fight scene i've seen benny the jet in is another fight to love which is him versus jackie chan in wheels on meals yeah which is again one
1: of the all-time great great (laughs) fight scenes but completely you know almost
0: 180 180.
1: yeah yeah (laughs)
0: It's, yeah, it was just a so funny thing about that. I'm like, that fight and this fight, but um, oh, that's just stuff. If people haven't seen that fight, go, you know, look that one up, because holy shit, that thing is amazing. <laughs> like, that blew my brain as a kid when I saw that fight, and it's like, some, like, random clip show of action movies, and it was like, who is this guy fighting Jackie Chan? And, like, and holding his own, you know, against Jackie Chan and having this amazing fight scene. Um, but, okay, so, yeah, the fight, <laughs> the fight's incredible. And it's a, the movie, I was thinking about this movie where it's like, the movie almost has the or it has the bones of a, what feels like a traditional, could be romantic comedy. But then you have the whole thing of John Cusack being a hitman and the action being taken when there is action or violence being taken fairly seriously. It's fun, but it's like, it's not like it's well shot, is what I'm saying. Like the, the action is well done, I think, for a movie that probably could have like, shrugged off the action as very secondary. It's like, ah, he's a hitman, but it's a fun romantic comedy. We don't need to, you know, try that hard, but they go pretty hard on the action stuff. Like I fucking loved the, the first time I watched it, the shootout in the convenience store is yeah. so yeah. much fun. <laughs> like, well, and, and again, it's it's little stuff
1: that Cusack does and, and first of all, George Armitage just shoots everything in this movie cleanly. But yeah. one of the things I love in that shootout is it's again, it's the little stuff Cusack does, right? He he eats the gum because he knows something's coming. Then Benny comes in and starts shooting. But I love as they're shooting and they're doing the the, the John Woo, you know, dual wielding thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I love when Cusack comes around the corner, he does this slide into right into the front of the microwave. Like he drops to a knee and does like a hook slide. And it's like, dude, you didn't have to, you didn't have to go that hard. You didn't (laughs) that like, and again, like you said, it's Cusack in frame. He's doing the slide. That's not a stunt man doing it. And it's, it's a little thing, but it's like, if you've ever tried to do a hook slide, like that's how ACLs get torn. You know? And (laughs) it is this really well, like, every part of this movie is given care but then i love how the movie it doesn't undercut it the way that say james gunn does in a lot of his movies it mm-hmm. just bolsters it by comedy because you got the kid playing doom 2 who's completely oblivious to this amazing <laughs> shootout is happening piece right. <laughs> of spades mind you yes yeah. yes this kid who's oblivious to all of it
0: <laughs> which i mean it's a comedy in this movie but i just thought it was funny i was like I know the joke is he's got his back too and he's got headphones on, but I'm like, if there's gunshots going off five feet away from you, you're going to know. <laughs> like, um, but I just, I just laughed how ridiculous that was, but it, it made it funnier almost. I'm like that he's so oblivious and I'm like, you'd feel the, the it's so loud you'd feel it in your body. <laughs> but, um, and I love how Cusack bumps him when sword of starts to blow up and then has to grab him and, you know, before the whole thing blows up. And um, that was kind of what surprised me the first time seeing this was, you know, because I kind of knew that it was like a romantic comedy with some action. And then I didn't expect that shootout the like, convenience sort of go as hard as it did. And then to have a big explosion, I was like, well, this is, I didn't think it would be this level of action in the movie. Like it was very surprising to me at that point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, it's, it's, it's all this weird blend that shouldn't work, but it does because you also get, you get the this great shootout, this explosion, but the kid being oblivious. And then you get, you know, it's all set up. And then you get the great punchline when he asks the kid, Are you okay? And the kid's like, No, hurt, pissed, <laughs> gotta find a new job, you know, <laughs> like, and so it, everything just, I mean, it's, this is just such a feast. Whatever your, you know, genre mashups are so hard to pull off. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of them are, by and large, I think, pretty terrible because they either just totally, give you whiplash, uh, or they handle one genre better than the other. You know, you mentioned a romantic comedy shouldn't have action this good. And that's typically what you'd expect, right? You'd expect a comedy to kind of skimp on the action, say something like the uh the other guys, which is a movie that I think is pretty funny, but you know, nobody's going to that movie for the action scenes, right? Well, yeah. Or <laughs> it's gonna be something like Tango and Cash, where they're gonna go hard on the action, but the comedy is uh, I mean, it's pretty juvenile. I love Tango and Cash, but it's, it's it's you know, nobody's going to consider Tango and Cash one of the best comedies of all time. I don't know how many other movies not only manage to avoid the tonal shift, but blend the genres so seamlessly as well as this one does. I mean, we just effortlessly go from action to jokes, to romance, to drama, and it just, it slides, you know, you get the scene with his mom, that's just heartbreaking. And, but then we're, we're sliding right back in and the, the script brings it back because she says, you're a handsome devil. What's your, what's your name? You know, and he brings that back and, uh, yeah, well, uh, I Matt, sorry, I'll I'll let you
0: talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I listen. Before we started, I was like, Mike, if you just want to talk this whole time. I'm just I'm a passenger along for the ride. I'm coldly I'm cool with that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I it, it that's tough. That when you walk this this line, I love when things kind of mash genres together, but um, it's a delicate balance. And uh, this movie definitely, like, I don't know how it even does it. It just weaves everything together and can go yeah like in the same scene can go from okay it's a little it's a little i don't know uh dramatic and then it throws in something comedic and then suddenly we could be in an action beat you know it's just like and it just it's like a uh, very graceful in that way and um i that's the kind of thing this time i was admiring more than the first time i watched it i was like it's really pulling off this crazy like <laughs> just blend of uh of all these things and like should not work like but somehow does and I don't even know how they did it it's like watching a magic trick where you're like how did they pull that off and you can't figure out the the trick but um it's I I'm just I'm trying to think where to go like I'm curious about this it might be a little bit of tangent but like because I'm watching this with John Cusack and I think John Cusack is great in this movie um but I he's an actor that I've never been able to like pin down I don't really know how I feel about him even though I think he's usually good and stuff that i've seen him and i haven't seen a ton of his movies but um he he's usually i feel like he's in a lot of comedies but i never think of him i think of him as a comedian um he always kind of seems a bit aloof to me even going back to like maybe like say anything or this movie but it works for him to be aloof because he's a hitman with his whole secret life um but he's always kind of oddly charming. So all that, I just said all this stuff, sorry. But like, I just can't, I can't figure him out. I don't know what your thoughts on John Cusack are overall though.
1: Well, so so Cusack is, has been, um, and certainly around this time, was one of my very favorite actors um, because I, I grew up on his movies. But I, I think the aloofness thing is his skill. Um, he's always he's always the smartest guy in the room and i can see how you know for some people that can be off-putting i I don't think he's necessarily above the movies that he's done the comedies that he's done although i will say um better off dead is one of my favorite movies of his and he fucking hates that movie (laughs) And, and and it's and apparently he was a nightmare to work with you know Don't Google John Cusack if you're a fan because you don't want to know more about him. Um, nothing you know, nothing awful, but certainly don't Google John Cusack and Nev Campbell. Uh, because he was apparently by all accounts just, uh, just awful when they were dating. Um, and he's a nightmare to work with. I I don't think that's that's I'm not saying anything you know that's gonna get us sued there. I mean, most people. (laughs) a nightmare to work with um right but that that aloofness um I think is part of the charm because he's a witty you know that Matt you know I've sort of especially when I was on Dana's show I sort of got a reputation as a guy who doesn't like comedies and it's a lot of it is because of John Cusack because that's what I want my comedy to be I like the sort of witty biting insults and 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 but i like stuff to be underplayed and he's so subtle in most of what mm-hmm. he does uh that that's what i think makes it you know i mean what i'm they're gonna have why you know families and kids and jobs and they can talk about all that what am i gonna say I killed the president of paraguay with a fork how have you been <laughs> You know, and, and you know, you picture <laughs> yeah. something like Will Ferrell saying that He's going to be like, oh, I mean, what am I going to say? I killed the president of Paraguay with a fork You know, and, and, and just the way Cusack says it It's like nonchalant Like he killed the president of Paraguay with a fork And that, that doesn't even phase him that, You know, and, and I think that's where his real skill set lies Is in saying ridiculous things in a subtle way does that make Mm -hmm. any sense at all
0: (laughs) no that makes perfect sense that was a good example you gave because uh you know i still i I guess i'm still a will ferrell fan even though i feel like it's been a very slow decline into uh, you know he makes a lot of bad movies but uh, let's not
1: talk about the last 10 years of john cusack's career well
0: oh yeah i looked at ndb because i was kind of curious because uh I, i thought he was doing a lot of like kind of bruce willis type stuff um you know like these kind of you know (laughs) the kind of things where he's only in it for the paycheck and uh low effort that type of thing um and i didn't mean to like bring this up to like disparage a guy in a movie you love and you know i just was curious because he has kind of uh disappeared a bit uh and he was very popular for a a long time like from the 80s into the 90s um still doing stuff into the 2000s but then you know it's been kind of a a drop-off and uh yeah, I just was kind of curious on like in general, and I've I like I've kind of heard. I think I'd heard that, not like he's done anything, you know, super terrible, but he's just kind of in general kind of a dick. Is that like kind of an asshole? Is
1: that like fair to say? Just an asshole. I mean, I I think that's yeah, certainly that's. It's really been kind of the last ten years, you know, because he did twenty twelve in two thousand and nine, and then he did Hot Tub Time Machine, which mm-hmm. was you know a decent success, and then it was sort of a lot of kind of. And there, he has done some things, uh, you know, I really like the frozen ground and I think he's really good in that. If, if you haven't seen that one, it's him and Nick cage and uh, they're both really good in it. Um, he did get a little bit of a bounce back. He was in mad. I don't know if you saw the Brian Wilson movie, love and mercy. He that plays. Was,
0: oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah I was
1: gonna say he plays the older Brian Wilson in that and he's terrific in that movie.
0: Okay, yeah, because when I was looking through his IMDb and kind of like the last 10 years especially, that did pop out, the Love and Mercy movie, because I remember thinking, oh, okay. I remember when this came out, people were even saying like, oh, John Cusack's kind of, he's back, guys. He's really good in this. And uh, um, it didn't seem like much came from after that. Like it kind of seemed like it was back to the um, straight to streaming, straight to video stuff he does for like paycheck movies, um, which seems kind of like a waste of (laughs) his talent. But if, I mean, you know, if he's just in to make money at this point, then, you know, I guess that's what it is. But, um, yeah, that one did pop out. Love and mercy was like, okay, I remember people saying he was good and it's a good movie, but, um, yeah, otherwise he just kind of feels like he's just gone off the radar for a long, like the past decade, you know? So, um, he's just like kind of a, he's kind of an enigma to me, you know, as somebody who was like, I wouldn't say I grew up with him, but he was in a lot of nineties movies that I've seen and Conair obviously. <laughs> um, but he, yeah, he just, and this watching this though, I was thinking, wow, his, aloofness kind of dickishness is like perfect for this part because it's like he's this guy who's very detached he's this hitman obviously he's having to kill people all the time and he's you know kind of i don't think tortured's the right word but he's he's uh you know just kind of i think he seems sad you know he seems like a sad guy in the movie and then he goes back and meets up mini driver again and he's like he's alive again he's electric you know it's like it like wakes him back up i feel like and uh uh, yeah, so I think his kind of personality is perfect for this part in this movie. That's why I was noticing this time, too.
1: Yeah, no, and in everything he says, you know, it, it works so well because there's so few moments of genuine emotion that he has in the movie. And, mm-hmm. and and he is able... One of the things I love about Kizak is for all his aloofness, for all his snarky ways, uh, he's always been an actor that can sell genuine emotion. Like, I, I love when he's talking to uh, his sister, one of his sisters with the baby and she says, how's your life? And, and the way he says in progress is, is just so like, Oh, you know, like <laughs> mm-hmm. broken hitman is starting to figure it out. Right. And then of course it all goes to shit, but, um, but like, he can't be too likable in this movie, except when he's with mini driver. And that's what I love is he's so good at turning on, they have such terrific chemistry and we, we definitely need to give mini driver credit here because I understand why he would have recurring dreams for 10 years over <laughs> driver in this movie, because she's just perfect in like, she's just, she's perfect in this movie. Um, And uh you know, but everything else you can see, he's got these walls up and he's got all these things and he's constantly pushing everybody away, whether it's through, guns or snarky comments and stuff like that. Um, Like the way he interacts with Joan Cusack, with Marcella, where he's constantly sort of, they've got these weird, this weird relationship um, that I love, but where he, you know, like calls her Sergeant Pepper and stuff like that.
0: (laughs) Did make me laugh pretty hard this time, actually. The Sergeant Pepper joke with her vest.
1: But I love, I love, I love when it's the end of the movie where, she's burning down the office and he's like, all right, take it down. And, uh, when everything blows over, I'll come and find you. And she's like, why? And he's like, it's not like that. Look under the desk, you know, but like the fact that she's like legitimately concerned and he does have that sort of, he's got enough of an edge to him that you buy that. Like you buy that this guy is, um, what's the word he uses, uh, has a bit of a moral flexibility, uh, (laughs) (laughs)
0: very true yeah i mean you buy like i don't think of john cusack as the most uh outwardly threatening guy but uh he has that dark edge to him that i feel like always comes and it works well for again being a hitman but he also can you know be a normal person too he's not like somebody you look at and think oh he's a murderer (laughs) you know he can be a normal guy but he has this dark edge where it's like yeah he's he's killed people and done some terrible things and uh yeah it's it's very interesting, so um, yeah, i really I mean, I love him in this i I think I saw that he said this was like one of his favorite roles or or his favorite role he's ever done. yeah, ever- I mean, he really marshalled
1: this. this was one of his pet projects he he really had a whole lot, I mean, he co-wrote the script, he produced it and and yeah, it's it's one of his favorite roles and and it should be. I mean, it's my favorite role of his i I, I just think this is the movie. Everything that John Cusack does well and none of what he kind of does poorly is on display in this movie. Um, Everything this is just this is, in my opinion, I, I think some people would argue that high fidelity might also do that. And, and that's another one where he balances that because, man, Rob in high fidelity is just up. A- fucking bag of douche for most of that movie (laughs) but you still like him because he's John Cusack and that's what Cusack is really good at is I think some people are very good at making sympathetic characters unlikable I think Cusack is very good at making unlikable characters sympathetic Uh, and and that's really where his strengths lie Uh, because for as aloof as he can be he's also so goddamn charming most of the time that you just can't help but be like, yeah, I kind of like this guy. I don't I wouldn't want to be friends with you in real life, but um I kind of like you. I'm kind of rooting for you here, buddy.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> definitely how I felt. Like I wrote that note, I was like, always oddly charming. Like no matter what, always charming. Like I it's you know, I don't know how he does it. It's he's a very interesting actor because I I think he's very unique and hit all these what we just talked about, all the things that he does. And uh um we I do want to talk about Minnie Driver though, because you brought that up but we should definitely talk about her um I, you know, my, my note, I just wrote at one point, I just said, I wrote, did we fail mini driver as a society? Because why, (laughs) why was she not a bigger star, had a longer career? I know, like I looked at her on DB, she still works. It's a lot of TV stuff. um, And she was super hot for a few years there at the end of the nineties. But it's like, she, it feels like she burned super bright, really fast. And it was like, okay, we're going to kind of push you out of the leading uh, roles in these movies, you're just other stuff, but um I love her in this. Like I'm falling in love with her. Like I get it. Uh, it's like I get it, John Cusack. Like you'd never stop dreaming about this woman. She's she's so good. I, I loved her in this, especially watching the second time. I loved her even more. um And I I'm sure you probably feel the same. so Imagine
1: this and Goodwill Hunting in the same fucking <laughs> year. Like 1997 was the year of the driver.
0: Yeah like what a double I, whammy yeah
1: that's like like, like like if you were not completely head over heels in love with mini driver by the end of 1997 i don't i don't fucking know what to tell you because <laughs> like <laughs> that was what a year man um and she's better in this than she is in goodwill hunting um and she's tremendous in goodwill hunting but again another great movie 97 i yeah. got it in 97 um
0: it's good but, it's up there yeah
1: <laughs> I, I do think we kind of let her down a little bit because I think, well, you know, her her sort of first big movie, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Matt, was a movie called Circle of Friends with her and Chris O'Donnell, where the plot is basically Chris O'Donnell is this, um, it's this Irish movie where he's sort of this, uh, and it's been years since I've seen it, so if I don't get the plot exactly right, he is this very popular kid and he meets uh mini driver and she's like the ugly girl but i i'm gonna make it sound like she's all that but it's not that it's much more serious um but there's this kind of a she's sort of considered the fat ugly girl and if i remember right he's either dared to date her or or something like that but her entire career was sort of based on you know her not being conventionally and I people can't see this I'm putting up air quotes here conventionally attractive by hollywood standards um and I think that's a little bit a part of the problem is that you know as she got older some of those features that aren't the traditional conventional hollywood attractive features became more pronounced you know she's got a very square jaw i i feel horrible analyzing this but you asked why we let her down please understand people listening i don't agree with this because i think many drivers were fucking lucky to have her and she's amazing and beautiful but i think that's part of it she also had a couple of decent failures um Mm -hmm. You know, Hard Rain was a miss. Uh, it, and, and then she did do, like, kind of like her last big movie that was really successful that starred her was Return to Me with David Duchovny. Um, but after that, she kind of, yeah, I think she got run out because Hollywood sucks. I mean, I, that's just the blunt yeah. way I'm saying it. We did fail her because Hollywood <laughs> sucks.
0: That's what uh, I, yeah, I feel like this is a very Hollywood thing to, to like, when you said if that movie circle of friends is about her being like the ugly fat one, that's I'm looking at like screenshots of the movie. That's insane that they would try to pitch that as like, she's the ugly chubby one or something. I'm like, what are you talking about? But, but that's very Hollywood, isn't it? You know, it's like, you got to be a very certain way or you're like, you know, unconventionally attractive. <laughs> like so weird. So weird.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and actually I will say uh, circle of friends is actually a really good movie and, uh, and it's back when, Chris O'Donnell was you know up and coming um his Irish accent's a little dodgy but uh but I remember it being a pretty good movie but yeah it's it's just it is so weird that because she's she's terrific and she she was so she was I'm talking about it like she's past tense she's still working but um back in especially in the late 90s she was so adept at handling so many different types of things she could do you know, sort of serious drama. She could do romantic comedy. She could handle all sort of the verbal wordplay of something like Gross Point Blank. Um, She was so talented and she should have had the world. I mean, she should have been oscars and starring in everything and yeah so yeah long answer short is yes we did let her in.
0: <laughs> okay that's what i thought and it's funny because you bring up like i just saw her because i think i was googling about this movie and her and uh, saw a picture of her from i think fairly recently past couple years i thought she still looked great and she's now i think in her 50s i think um yeah, yeah. So I, I was like, oh, Hollywood's like you. You have dark curly hair. Your un, your jaw's a little square. You're unconventionally attractive. Like, oh boy. So yeah, and they, I when John Cusack shows up and the first time they meet, there's so much electricity between them and like the chemistry I think between them is like really off the charts. This movie, like I, I, I meant to Google it. I'm like, did they actually date or something? Because they have this chemistry of people who really we're in a relationship. I felt like I did the chemistry is like off the charts with these two.
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean, literally that first, and that's, that's what's so crucial about this movie. The casting is perfection because if you, you know, the idea here is he left her on prom night, disappeared for 10 years and you have to buy that when he walks through that door, Not only, I mean, because we know that he's been obsessing over because he's telling Dr. Oatman about his recurring, you know, isn't obsession a little like says recurring dreams five nights a week about a girl that you knew in high school. Yeah, obsessive might be a little strong. You know, I mean, but (laughs) so we know he's still obsessed with her, but you have to buy that when he walks through that door for as mad as she is, she's immediately right back there. And that's all on her. That's all on her face, her, like, and you see it. You literally see it when he walks in and she's like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, fuck, I'm not over this guy. Like, I'm mad at this guy, but I am not fucking over this guy. And and it's, it, it, the movie doesn't work if that's not conveyed. And, uh, and that's all on Driver. I mean, Cusack's great and they've got great chemistry, but she's got so much more work to do. In terms of that, Uh otherwise we don't. We're just gonna feel like she's an idiot, and we need to not feel like she's an idiot. We need to feel like, yeah, she still loves this friggin' psychopath.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, I, it's funny. I feel like she kisses him right away. They kind of make out for a quick second, and then I feel, but I feel like she is. Uh, kind of playing it like oh shit i don't want to do that uh but i can't help myself and then i and then she i love how she kind of like publicly humiliates him on the radio too though <laughs> like she gets him back like instantly um it's she's all these emotions where she's kind of mad at him but she can't like keep her hands off him basically and still is like you're kind of a dick but i still like you <laughs> it's just and, and she's do it plays it so well like i just that scene is so great when we're on the radio station together um it's just, oh, man, it's it's yeah, that was one of the like, perfect scene. I thought it, it's a perfect movie to you. Um, I'm not quite there yet. I I do. I think I'll like it every time I watch it more. But I was like, this is a great, perfect scene with the two of them meeting for the first time.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and and just again, every way it, it, the way the movie uses them and builds through them, because it's like then they they go get drinks at the the bar and you get the drunk girl but the the way you know she tells him about the shakabuku uh which is a term. this is one of the other things with this movie is now's as good a time as any to talk about it i guess (laughs) i i didn't realize until watching it this time how much of this movie has just worked its way into my like vocabulary like i just say shit normally like i tell people they need shakabugu's all the time. And I've said it so much that I actually forget that it comes from gross point blank until I rewatch gross point blank. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, and they have that and they have the cute, like, as they're leaving, uh, just, you don't know if your cat is male or female. I respect its privacy. I mean, <laughs> again, just a throwaway line. Um, but it builds and builds and then he comes back and gets her to agree that you know he can take her to the reunion and and just you can see it all developing but it it doesn't work if we don't buy that there was a relationship between them 10 years ago and that's what i love so much about their chemistry in this is they have such an easy rapport that it's like oh i totally buy these two used to date and now they're kind of picking up where they left off uh, because sometimes that kind of happens, you know, uh, typically not because you disappeared on prom night, joined the army, got loaned out to a CIA program and then went into business for yourself as a professional killer. But <laughs> people do break up and get back
0: together. And when yeah, you, oh, yeah,
1: you it's very easy to sort of pick up where you left off a lot of times.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know if you went to your year high school reunion, but, uh, <laughs> I saw people, I saw people who used to date, uh, in that room kind of when they first saw each other, uh, it felt like there was a moment where it's like, oh, oh, it's like it's <laughs> this, a couple couples were like this connection they still had. And, uh, it happens, especially when you, you know, it's been that long and like, you know, it might, might've been your first love when you were younger in high school, you know, um, so it's definitely, uh, it's, it can definitely be a thing and they play it just Cusack and many play it so well. Um, I buy it a hundred percent. Um, it's just, it, I mean, that's kind of the, what makes the whole movie work. It's kind of the engine that makes the whole movie go, you know, at that point. So, um, yeah, I, I, I love that stuff. I, uh, I do want to, I do want to do bring this up. I, there's a, cause you mentioned there's a lot of good like people in the movie uh the supporting cast is really great and like it's uh alan arkin as his uh therapist is like he doesn't have many scenes but he was making me like laugh out loud because he's just i think he's like constantly hilarious in the movie (laughs) like um how he doesn't really want to know what's going on with uh john cusack and um i don't know i did you do you enjoy his performance
1: Oh, I love his performance. I mean, I love
0: Alan Arkin.
1: Uh, oh, know, in Alan
0: general, Arkin
1: yeah. Like, <laughs> but, um, oh my God, he's so great in this because again, he just he kills every scene. Um, the Battery Bunny. It's a terrible dream, Martin. Why is that a, it's a terrible dream. It's a, to be the battery bunny. This is, it's got no spirit. It's got no bones. It's got no anima, Martin. It just bangs and goes around and around. Like he's so, <laughs> like, and, and the way he delivers his lines, he puts such like relish on every line that he's delivering. Um, it, it, in the way he and Cusack again play off one another where it's like, he's terrified <laughs> four sessions, Martin. You didn't tell me for four sessions that you were a killer. <laughs>
0: that's yeah. There, that line. I think maybe laugh. laugh you know, I wish I wrote it down. It's a line that really cracked me up. Um, yeah, I, I, I love, I thought he was so great. I kind of forgot he was even in it for a minute. I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. He has this part about the, the therapist and, uh, God damn, it's so funny. I, uh, I just, he comes in, does that and just kills it. And then, you know, I think, I don't know how many scenes he has, but um, he's great. Joan Cusack has also very little screen time. I absolutely love her in her few scenes, like, but she's pivotal to the movie. Um, I love, I don't know how often him and uh, John and Joan Cusack have worked together, but I do love when they do work together. I think say anything. She's in that, right? Yeah. She's in a
1: ton of his movies. Okay. That's that's what I thought. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of his family. He, he's He's pretty uh good about bringing his family. Joan's the only one that really you know broke away enough to make her own career but mm-hmm. um because like I said, like uh the um when he's at the table with the the lady that has the baby, that's another one of his sisters um oh and, okay
2: yeah, and then
1: uh, <laughs> but yeah, but Joan, they work together a lot, and Joan always rules, <laughs> and-
0: yeah, I love when they work together, and she's like. So funny in this! I love her in this. Like, makes the most of um her part completely. Like, I just yeah, she's the best. I was like, I was like, I could watch like a whole side movie with like him doing a job and more of her and them working together or something. Like, uh, give me a whole little, uh, give me more of her scenes, basically. Yeah,
1: because I love that we get that scene where she's like talking to somebody and then she's like, "Hold on." No, that's not right. 3,000 round subsonic. I gave that to you. That's on the fucking list. I don't give a good goddamn. I want to hear And then she switches over and immediately she's like, sorry about that. No. <laughs> Not, it's not gonna be a boring soup the celery and the carrots are just a base like,
0: yes <laughs> that was maybe my favorite part how she switches from like angrily screaming at someone ordering ammunition for him and talking about a soup recipe it was like this incredible <laughs> so it's good
1: oh so brilliant and again that's that's like in most movies that's like the best scene in the movie and it's just kind of a throwaway scene here like it <laughs> uh, yeah yeah
0: it's Yeah. <laughs> and I definitely want to bring up uh, a guy I love. Dan Aykroyd as the grocer. Uh, I've never seen a human being, I think, look happier shooting off two guns than Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> like, the last shootout, he's firing the two guns and he there's a look on his face maybe for a moment. But I just was like, Dan Aykroyd looks like he's just delighted to be shooting these guns. I don't know if he's just thinking in character or it's genuinely him just having a great time shooting guns in a movie. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean Dan Aykroyd, not known for high-level Hong Kong action, right? right. So <laughs> definitely um, but he's he's yeah, he's so he's the perfect villain for this movie because he's he's over the top enough. And he's so the anti-Martin, uh, because he wears these doofy, like short sleeve white shirts with like khakis, you know, Martin's all dressed in black and with fancy suits and looks cool and grocer looks like your fucking high school shop teacher, (laughs) you know? And, and, uh, so it's, it's like a perfect balance because, uh, they're just, they're so different, but that's kind of the whole point of their animosity towards one another is because grocer does look and act like a, uh, like a middle management basically and that's what he wants to do you know he wants to form this union and and all of this <laughs> stuff and uh but he's oh he's got again so many good lines <laughs> where he's just throwing them out there um one of my favorites is, is not even his line but it's when the uh it's when the CIA agents they're in the bathroom and they're like oh Martin's coming back and he g- grocer jumps into the uh, stall again and then Hank is there he's like oh fuck you guys <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh yes
0: that was a little funny scene it's almost like a throwaway scene but it's really funny um, the scene with uh Cusack and Aykroyd in that diner when they both have guns and it's very tense And still but it's still funny where they're like you know it's a standoff in the middle of this uh and they're ordering breakfast while they're doing it. <laughs> like a scene I almost forgot oh no, I just thought about like oh it's a great little scene that's kind of like thrown in here and could have almost been like a throwaway but it's a super funny little scene between the two of them
1: well and again it establishes the difference between them you know martin's all healthy and and everything and grocers you know ingesting durazak 13 at the advice of a neuro uh, <laughs> <laughs> again one of the just I'm sorry. I keep quoting the movie and not actually talking about it. (laughs) What do you want in the omelet? Nothing, nothing at all. Well, then it's not technically an omelet. I don't want to get into a semantic argument about it. I just want the protein. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oh, uh, no. I mean, there's it, it, a lot of great lines. Listen, this was a show for you just to to go nuts with this movie you love. So you quote all you want. <laughs> I'm not going to stop you. Uh, that is a great quote. I laugh at your heart. It's like, it's not really an omelet, then. It's like, I, I don't want to get semantics. Just give me the You know, it's like, oh, man, so good. Um, And I kind of love this idea of Hitmen kind of running their, the, the kind of mundane-ness of running their hitman you know their their businesses you know kind of the day-to-day and like how dan akard wants to start a union you know like this ridiculous idea of a union of hitman where it's like oh yeah this is just their job it's not some like they're not like mythical um you know like the boogeyman or something they're just guys with the, who do this is for a living you know um i kind of love that little aspect of the movie too about like just kind of like i'm a hitman it's just my job you know <laughs>
1: Well, and I, I love, yeah, I love how unromanticized, uh, despite how Martin dresses and talks, right. I love how unromanticized it is. Because you know, the whole point is they're they're both there to kill uh, Debbie's dad, and and when you find out the reason why, it's literally because he like reported on some like manufacturing failure or something like like it's the most mundane. <laughs> Fucking reason yeah. that they're gonna kill this guy. <laughs> but but it makes sense because if you think about the way corporations and the people that would hire hitmen work, it's like, well, his deposition might cost this company millions and millions of dollars. Honestly, that is probably a better reason to kill somebody than most reasons to kill somebody. But but it's so not romantic, right? These aren't mob people, these are like they're not being hired by the Sopranos. They're being hired by fucking Elon Musk. And I love that that's like hanging out sort of in the background of the movie. It's not beating you over the head with it or anything, but it's there, like just how unromantic this life is. It's, and I mean, romantic in like the traditional sense, not in the love sense of like, there's just nothing really all that cool about being a hitman. It's a fucking-
0: (laughs) They take the mystique off it. It's not like a cool, like, you know, John Wick, like everyone talks about him, like he's the, you know, the boogeyman, you know, they, this is just like, it's Dan Aykroyd's a hit, you know, it's not like he's not like the coolest guy in the world or some, you know, fucking the Grim Reaper or something, you know, it's just,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. like, you know, Cusack and and uh, uh, Martin and Marcella's office is like just some shitty, you know, rent out office in a nondescript fucking office building yeah i guess it's got hardwood floors that's nice but there's not like (laughs) secret like panels with like all sorts of arsenals you know like kuzak's got like his one briefcase that has all his guns but there's not like it's not like it's not like mark Wahlberg in the big hit where like he's got you know that whole like back panel in his garage that's got like (laughs) five thousand guns and stuff in it you know there's just nothing romantic about this And, and i love uh the cia agents also Equally unromantic, you know, yeah. they're shaving in the car and brushing their teeth in the car, and they're just uh, as somebody who does work for the government, I'm not a CIA agent, but as somebody who does work for the government, yeah, we're not romantic. Like, anytime I see a movie where there's like government employees who are cool, I'm like, you know, <laughs> we're civil servants, man. We buy our suits at friggin' Burlington Coat Factory, like, come on. <laughs>
0: oh man yeah no it's it's a great touch the whole thing and uh yeah it's funny you bring up the big hit because i had this thought of watching gross point blake because i kind of i kind of love the big hit i haven't seen it since i was very young it was like a movie i, I adore I, I th- the big hit Matt. okay I fucking adore the big hit okay good they were on the same page i i haven't seen it in probably like 20 years at this point but it was like one of my go-tos at the video store because i think it was pg-13 not r maybe i'm wrong it um, was, definitely our. Oh, well, I don't know how the hell I was renting all the time. I must have snuck that one by. But uh, I was renting it a lot and thought it was really, really cool. And um, was there something going on in the 90s with, like, cool, like, Hitman movies, but also hitmen who were trying to lead normal lives, you know? Like, was this a Tarantino thing? Like, people were like, oh, let's do, like, crime movies, but also, you know, they're going to be a little more fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I was thinking this the big hit. I know there's a couple more. Like There's kind of these like eight heads in a duffel bag. Like, it's kind of like crime movies. They're also kind of quirky and funny. Like I, There's like a wave of these. Am I, am I wrong?
1: <laughs> no, no, you're not wrong at all. There totally was. And I think it's twofold. I think one is definitely the Tarantino influence. Uh, but I think the other one is also, as we mentioned earlier, way back at the start, the Hong Kong influence. Okay, because yeah. there's so many Hong Kong action movies that are about you know hitmen and gangsters trying to get out of the game uh like the big hit for instance directed by great hong kong master kirk wong uh so that's a very i mean the big hit is hands down i think i said face off earlier was like the best american hong kong movie but that's because it's the best movie the big hit is the most hong kong american movie ever made the big hit is 100 hong kong except for the fact that it stars uh you know mental health is a myth just go to the gym kid uh
0: listen all, mike all you need is prayer time and uh <laughs> clear your head you up with a- it
1: gotta get in that crowd gotta i gotta gotta have that cryo bro gotta get <laughs> that cryo time fucking cryo um <laughs> i can't not work into anything <laughs> my god that this is a total tangent but that that netflix uh trailer where he does the because in here the party never stops oh my god i'm gonna get so fucking much use out of that gif i haven't that was like early Ooh. christmas for me when he popped up in that um <laughs> but anyway i no the big hit's great and you're right there is a wave here um And that's one of the reasons I think gross point blank maybe wasn't more successful than it, than it was, you know, it made its money back. It made like $38 million on a $15 million budget, but it certainly didn't, you know, wasn't a blockbuster. Right. um, Because it had, I think been a little bit, Consumed in the things to do In Denver when you're dead and like you said Eight heads in a duffel bag and Two days in the valley and Mm -hmm. you know All these this wave of Sort of Tarantino knockoffs which it's 100% not a Tarantino Knockoff oh Uh, right yeah yeah (laughs) I I mean there's nothing About you know as much as it's witty dialogue The dialogue the structure of the movie Everything about it is completely Different than the way Tarantino does Stuff whereas you know things to do in Denver when you're dead is pretty much a straight Tarantino ripoff, but uh, guilt by association, I think definitely hurt the movie.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's I, general audiences and critics sometimes even are kind of like, if things are even remotely close to something, you know, then it kind of gets lumped in, even though if you, if you watch this movie, it's really not any kind of like Tarantino ripoff, I think at all really, you know? Um, and uh yeah, it's. I was just curious. I was thinking, like, wait a minute, like this is '97, and then like big hit, and there's all these other kind of movies, and I was like, something was going on then. And I was like, Tarantino, yeah, the Hong Kong thing. You're right.
1: It's the Tarantino thing and the Hong Kong thing. I mean, literally this same weekend that this opened, a movie that most people have forgotten. I had forgotten about if I hadn't pulled it up here, Keys to Tulsa, which is a straight up Tarantino rip off with Eric Stoltz and Cameron Diaz. Never came heard of that, that one. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah there's a reason that you, you haven't heard of it I don't anything about it um but uh yeah so uh really quick since i've got it up let's talk about just april of 97 okay the first week of april you get april 4th you get chasing amy okay <laughs> the re-release of dos boot double team The Saint with Val Kilmer. Uh huh. (laughs) In the next week, you get Anaconda and Gross Point Blank. The next week, you actually get eight heads in a duffel bag. Oh, okay. (laughs) And (laughs) McCale's Navy. Um, the next week you get *Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion and the Tommy Lee Jones volcano. Like, man, I would kill for a month like this, like a month like this now would be July. Like this would come out in the middle of the summer. And this is friggin' April. We're not even getting into the fact that like two weeks after that, the fifth element comes out.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> that, what a fun month of movies. Like that's, um, also funny that *Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion comes out like right after this other reunion movie, you know, it's like, um, yeah I that month sounds like a blast honestly uh yeah whenever I it's I know we talk about this a lot on this show and I know we we all kind of I don't want to sound like old man yelling at cloud but but it, you know it's just different things were different then. I'm like look back at these things so fondly um like I don't know if Mikhail's hey McHale's navy is not like a beloved classic I don't think or uh eight eight heads duffel yeah eight heads of uh, duffel bag is not I think well revered now but you know it's like These were like kind of fun, quirky movies. You just kind of read off like they're different. It's not it's definitely not all the same movie coming out, you know, four times in a row. I mean, I even skipped over
1: uh, Patrick Bromley's boy, Dwight H. Little's Murder at 1600 came out the same week with Leslie Snipes came out the same week as a heads in a duffel bag in McHale's Navy. You could in one weekend go see a a Joe Pesci tarantino knockoff a tom arnold comedy or a wesley snipes action thriller directed by dwight h little the same weekend that
0: yeah and that's (laughs) the part i love i love that variety like that's the thing i feel like if i kind of sound like i'm you know moaning about like oh things were better in the 90s Not, not even necessarily better sometimes just a fun variety of movies coming out like you know and now you know, streaming has changed things. Like there's a lot of things that come on streaming that are, you know, every week we get all this different stuff. But like when you go theater, it's like, they kind of have to, I feel like they hedge their bets a lot. It's like, you know, we're not taking as many chances on like mid-budget kind of weirder, quirkier movies that kind of maybe are genre mashups too. Cause then it's like, how do we sell this? You know, um, so yeah, I just, I really miss that variety of movies coming out. Honestly, that was a lot of fun. Like just with all these different things coming out.
1: Yeah. And that, that was the thing for me, you know, and, and maybe that is part of it with gross point blank. I mean, I still contend, I think it's a perfect movie, but, um, and I, I am pretty liberal throwing that term around, but I legit actually think gross point blank is a perfect movie. I, I have a theory as to how to articulate that in a sec, but, um, just the idea of, yeah. And this was also, you know, I was going to the theater every weekend in 97 and seeing all these movies, it was kind of a feast because you could just go see all these different movies, you know, one of my favorites. So this is a weird thing for a lot of people because I have a weird favorite Disney movie. My favorite Disney movie is actually Hercules that opened June 27th. You know what else opened June 27th? Fucking face off. I saw Hercules face off in the same day. That is one of the greatest movie going days of my entire life. Seeing Hercules and face off in the same day. Just like, ah, oh, yeah, sorry. You uh, <laughs> get Batman and Robin, which I like, but uh, I know what most people hate, but uh, yeah, just a wild year, man. Wild. Yeah.
0: Uh, I- <laughs> I'm coming around on Batman and Robin still a little bit. Um, like, I, I think I just said this with Mitch, I think, uh, on the fan where I said, like, it's a lot easier to like Batman and Robin now that we've gotten so many dark gritty Batman movies. You know what I mean? Like, um, it eases me on that movie. Cause at the time, at the time I really thought it killed the Batman franchise. So it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, but I'm like, ah, oh, Batman's fine. It's fine. You know? Um, so Batman and Robin's kind of a fun, weird, uh, addition now really. <laughs> so, yeah,
1: it is. And especially again, you know, cause I mean, I hated it when it came out. I will. Right out that two weeks or the week before we got uh, a movie that is far far worse and deserves all the hatred that Batman and Robin is getting because we got Speed 2 Cruise, Cruise Control which is one of the most uh god-awful sequels that's ever been
0: like <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have to stop you I'm really because I've gotten so much shit from Mark Wanner because I have bashed Speed 2 Cruise Control apparently multiple podcasts in like a short time and Mark messaged me he was like Matt you gotta start stop bashing that movie I'm gonna leave you a one-star review and I do <laughs> I just thought it was funny you bring up Speed 2 and I'm like, Mark, it wasn't me this time. I didn't bash Speed
1: 2. Mark, sorry, Speed 2 fucking sucks. It's terrible. Like, it is, I rewatched it for a podcast. Shout out to the Moving the Needle podcast. We did an episode where we had to decide whether um, a good day to die hard uh, or Speed 2 Cruise Control is the worst, most unnecessary sequel, and uh, we actually settled on Speed 2 primarily because A Good Day to Die Hard comes in at like 105 minutes, whereas or 100, like 100 minutes, whereas Speed's almost like two full hours, uh, 45 minutes of which is the boat very slowly crashing dock at the end of that movie. Uh-
0: <laughs> so slowly, yeah. <laughs>
1: But but you know, Batman and Robin, yeah, you're right. Cause I heard you talk to Mitch about that. But you know, now you can look back on it and look and go, well, this is a unique movie. The the style, yeah. the technique, the costumes, whether you hate them or not, it's at least Joel Schumacher's vision, man. Um, and it has color,
0: which right. is <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's always nice, yeah. <laughs> appreciate that more of a year uh when i i'm like how colorful and how bright and crazy it is i'm like oh well this is a, a visual treat if anything you know so yeah i'm with you on that one um
1: I got to get off this page because
0: I feel like I'm going down
1: a, an Adam Risky type rabbit hole here where I'm just going to start throwing out 1997
0: movies. <laughs> oh, Mike, I'm doing the same thing on my end. Don't worry. I'm like, I'm like, holy shit. Was 97 like my favorite year of movies ever? Because even the the quote unquote bad stuff is stuff that I kind of love, like Beverly Hills Ninja and and uh... yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, uh, fucking. Copland and Event Horizon came out the same
0: week. Like, oh my god. Oh,
1: and the full Monty. <laughs> All three of those movies came out the same week. Are you kidding me?
0: <laughs> crazy. Like, we could just do a whole episode. Where we'd sit here and run down the 97 release calendar in order <laughs> and just talk Absolutely. about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um oh. That's a real Ugh. film feast. Uh, that's just, just go, uh, this is crazy. I just stop looking at this because. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, I'm I'm losing, and that hasn't even gotten to the fact that one of my, I think one of the greatest movies ever made, L.A. Confidential, also came out in 1997.
0: Like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. It's a, okay. I will. Last thing I'll say: it's a good year for all kinds of movies because you have good press, like prestige movies, air quotes. of have Good Will Hunting and L.A. Confidential, and um, with some other stuff so I didn't, I can't remember. But you have like. Fun, uh, you know, popcorn type stuff, like it's just oh man, okay, we'll have to. We'll have to come back later do you want to hold another episode or something
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i gotta get off this i gotta get off this um all right so my theory about part of why i think gross plain blank is a perfect movie bringing us back to the movie at hand um and i also do want to apologize mark i feel bad that i said speed two sucks i love that you like that movie that that was rude of me i i don't like when people when i like a movie and people tell me it sucks i i do want to make sure that 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 was i was joking i don't like the movie but i love that you love it so
0: yeah no, i think he knows mark's a good sport too i i kind of gave we went back and forth on it i was like mark i just i need to watch it again i and i think now it's funny i think it's been such a joke with me and mark that i think there may be an episode on speed two cruise control (laughs)
1: like that would be great i i did when i watched it for moving the needle i really had a thought of like maybe i'll have like that reevaluation and maybe i'll be like speed two is is you know good actually it, that did not happen for me, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave it at that. It did not. Happen. <laughs> Willem Dafoe is great, but uh, yeah, it did not happen. Um, Fair enough. Yeah.
0: So gross born blank. I'm curious to hear this now, but why this is perfect movie, <laughs> the journey of the pen. Uh, okay. <laughs> I think the
1: journey of the pen is why you is, is what you can use to illustrate how tight and perfectly put together. The script is because uh, they meet Ken And he's doing the whole yeah, I'm at this law firm, a little personal injury, divorce mostly, you know, and and Martin goes, aren't those all the same thing, Um, (laughs) but he gives him the pen that we don't really think anything of other than it makes Ken kind of look like uh, he's just this smarmy lawyer guy right. Well, the pen then comes back because obviously that's how Martin kills uh Felix La uh, Benny Orquidez. You know, he stabs him with the pen in one of the great scenes. And and I mean, we even get like the full close-up of the pen. So that we're like, Yes, this is the pen that he was given by Ken. And then we get the payoff as he's leaving. He says, Hey Ken, thanks for the pen. And like just that arc, that journey that the pen goes on, that is a thing that for most of this movie is like we wouldn't even think about is so well-structured to me. <laughs> this, <laughs> this, this little pen <laughs> goes from an advertisement, like a business card that is given out to special customers, to a weapon of death. <laughs> <laughs> Just, it's amazing to me um and at the time I was I was working in a luggage store that also sold pens so I was actually an expert on pens Matt I used oh. to be an expert <laughs> on pens um and so immediately I'm like it's a Mont Blanc pen Well, oh, that's a fancy pen don't stab that guy that's a $300 pen what anyone's <laughs> st- with a $300 pen it's <laughs> <That's laughs>
0: a waste of a good pen yeah <laughs> oh man like, uh, but I love that. That's just a, an
1: example to me of how well structured this script is that nothing in this movie is wasted. There is no actual, we joke about throwaway lines, but there is no actual throwaway line in this movie because everything somehow comes back to have some sort of relevance later on in the movie. And I fucking, I, I, that, that is my favorite thing about this movie is because as you know, Matt, we've talked before, I'm a bit of a nerd for like, structure in movies I really like setups and payoffs and this movie is nothing but setups and payoffs
0: that's I mean that was great I did not even think about the journey of the pen and now I think every time I watch it, I'm going to be focused on the journey of the pen <laughs> like so that was amazing thank you for that and yeah it's it is a lot of uh setups and payoffs and it's super tight I was noticed this time it was like the script is great the movie is super tight like um I don't remember how long it's like an hour 45. Um, but it's like, there's not, it does not waste anything. There's not an ounce of fat on it. I feel like it's just, like you said, it's just kind of does not, uh, does it just, it's not okay. I think, yeah. I'm lost words. <laughs> it does not waste time is just very like economic and what it's doing. Um, and yeah, it's very impressive. Like it's just, I, I love that about it too. Like, um, you're definitely making me love the movie more and more the more we talk about it so mission accomplished my friend
1: well and i do have to shout out a producer that i typically can't stand joe roth uh for this one because i, I was was i was doing research for this uh, i was reading an interview with george Armitage where he was talking about they shot several endings uh because they, they didn't want to have an ending Armitage had done this movie earlier that's actually really terrific if, if people haven't seen it called Miami Blues with Alec Baldwin, and people really didn't like the end of that another movie where like a sociopath is the hero but a charming sociopath is the hero, and um, so they wanted to make sure he survived in this but they shot a bunch of different endings of mini driver and Cusack like Martin and Debbie working it out and stuff like that and and at one of the screenings and they they couldn't decide what ending worked nothing seemed to work and uh at one of the screenings Joe Roth said when the dad says you've got my blessing like there's your ending and and that's exactly what they do right he says that she closes the door and it cuts to them immediately in the car and you get a little bit of a voiceover from Debbie and the movie's done and out because this is not the type of movie where we need to see them you know, Cusack gives some like impassioned speech or they work their shit out. We just, you know, he saved their lives and she's still in love with him, even though he's a psychopath and they get the hell out of town. I like, I can't imagine another ending working better for this movie than the one we got.
0: Yeah, I, it was one of those movies where it's. I feel like it was light enough and the tone was all light, but that I, you could see there be an ending maybe where, they don't end up together, or even, like, they would go so far as to, I don't know, maybe kill him or something crazy. I don't know, but I felt like that it wasn't going that way. I was happy there was just a, like, a, a good, happy ending, and I do love that part. It's like, you have my blessing. Like, just, like, let's get to the ending. They drive out of town. That's it. I, I think it's great. I don't want, like, any kind of darker ending, or they don't end up together. Like, I want them to be together. I want, like, a happy ending. Um so, yeah, I think it's I, I agree with you. It's like the perfect ending of the movie. <laughs> like, I'm on board for that one. So,
1: yeah, and it, it doesn't tie everything up. You know, I love we we end on Mini Driver saying, you know, forget about forgiving uh, and just accept and get the hell out of town. Right. And, <laughs> you know, but it, it doesn't end on this necessarily like it's not full graduate cringe, but it doesn't <laughs> end necessarily on a note of. Oh yeah, these two crazy kids are going to be together forever because he's still Martin. Right, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so there is a little bit of like edge to it, but it's a happy enough ending and yet yeah, and yeah, I that's the one of the other, you know, supporting actors that we that we haven't uh shouted out is uh her dad, Mitchell Ryan, uh the great uh bad guy from Lethal Weapon. Uh yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, the way he just delivers You've got my blessing. It's so perfect.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One of those guys that when he popped up again, I was like, oh, I've seen you in a bunch of stuff, like just one of those guys you recognize immediately Um, that he's great as her dad. Um, I was thinking about this, too, when so the movie, like I said, kind of has like the the bones of the structure of romantic comedy with the hitman movie kind of in it. And I love that there's these beats that happen, usually romantic comedies like the misunderstanding air quotes. And then they break up when she sees him, he's murdered man, <laughs> is the misunderstanding and the kind of, she runs away. And there's always that part where the, usually the guy at the end comes back to like, get the girl and make amends for the misunderstanding. And I love in this, you still have that beat where he goes to her house for a dad, but then it's, it's interrupted by a, a gunfight. <laughs> it's, it's this big action set piece uh, that comes in this gunfight in the house as he's about to do the whole, like, let me explain, you know, and do, and it just all this happens. I, I love that it has his romantic comedy beats, but with the the angle of the Hitman movie. And it's funny, we made it two hours in, and I didn't even mentioned that this episode should come out on Valentine's Day. So I guess this is technically our big romantic Valentine's Day episode. And I was like, you know what? It works. It's good.
1: <laughs> yeah, it totally works. No, I love that he's literally beat a dude with a frying pan. And then he's like, Debbie, I love you, and I know we can make this work. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, it's so absurd in how it turns the romantic comedy kind of conventions on its head while still holding true to them like right. yeah well and i do love i do love his speech where he says you know i was standing there in that goddamn rented tux, and i realized for the first time in my life i wanted to kill somebody so since i loved you so much i figured i should probably leave you alone yeah. <laughs> you <know? laughs> but uh also a weird random thing. So Jenna Elfman pops up in this. And oh, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> like
1: literally the next year, she and Mitchell Ryan would be in uh, Dharma and Greg together. So, you know, one of those weird uh, weird coincidences. Um,
0: but, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. I was like, Sorry. oh, Jenna Elfman for, you know, real quick. You know, pops up out of nowhere. I was like, oh, yeah, I recognize you. <laughs> um, yeah. I. Oh, last thing I have a note. You can talk if you have more to say. But the last thing I had a note on was, like, I just wrote down this soundtrack is amazing. What a fucking great soundtrack from start to finish. (laughs) Like amazing.
1: And not just, not just the songs, but the use of the songs. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to put together a a sort of jukebox soundtrack with a lot of kick-ass music, but the way they use it now, part of the reason for that is because they didn't fuck around. Cusack brought in Joe strummer of the clash to do the soundtrack and do the score. (laughs)
2: so maybe not
1: yeah um and and you know but the the placement of of like the fight in the hallway to mirror in the bathroom like i know i've listened to that song a thousand times i grew up listening to that song never would have thought of a martial arts fight to that song but the beat and the the kind of baseline of that song totally works perfectly for a martial arts fight like it in the way, like when he's talking and he's got the baby and it's under pressure and he's staring at it as as you get that great <laughs> rising David Bowie bit of that song, just absolutely banger soundtrack, top to bottom, unbelievable <laughs> soundtrack.
0: Yeah, and not just like oh, these are cool songs or popular songs, like because and then they're well used, like you said, they're well used in the scene. Like I feel like thought was put into it. Um, Very cool, eclectic soundtrack. I really, I also, I mean, this one kind of seemed random, but I love this song. I love that they use the Live and Let Die cover by Guns N' Roses. Like, I just love that song. And I was like, oh, wow, what an interesting choice to go with the Guns N' Roses cover of Live and Let Die. (laughs) Like, um, but I, yeah, I dig it. And then using um, Ace of Spades in the uh, convenience store is so much fun. I love that song. Um, I was thinking, so I have a Blu ray of this. uh, And I think someone brought this up on your tweet about it this feels like the perfect kind of movie to get like a shout select or maybe even arrow like really nice fully loaded blu-ray um but then i think you pointed out that it is a technically kind of under disney property because it's a hollywood pictures or touchstone it's hollywood yeah. hollywood pictures yeah and i because i thought the soundtrack was a problem not getting a better release but yeah it's probably you're <laughs> i'm sure you're on to something with it being under disney where it's like I wish they would just loan it out to Shout or somebody to give it like a big, because the Blu-ray is pretty bare bones, unless there's one I miss. I guess like the trailer and that's it, I believe.
1: Yeah, that's that's all that's out there is that 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 original. That's the same one that I have, that original Blu-ray. And um, yeah, it, it, Disney doesn't, you know, a lot of the mirror, it's, it's too bad that this one is Hollywood because a lot of the Miramax stuff, uh, other companies actually have rights do now uh like i think mill creek has a ton of miramax stuff which isn't necessarily you know mill creek's not necessarily known for putting out great releases either but um but this one's a hollywood picture so it's it's still exclusively under that disney banner and it is i mean we haven't gotten re-releases of pretty much any of the touchstone or hollywood movies you know the rock still has it's old you know the rocks release the blu-ray isn't bare bones because it's got all the Criterion special features, oh, right? Uh, but that's it. I mean, that's all they did was poured over the Criterion special features. Armageddon, same thing. You know, mm-hmm. Conair has like nothing on its Blu-ray. Um, so, yeah, I don't, and I, unless I'm missing something, I'm sure somebody listening will tell me, but I don't think Shout has ever put out any Disney movie. Uh, because I don't, Disney just, they don't license that stuff out to Arrow or Shout or Eureka or, or any of
0: these companies. Anybody, right? It feels like they don't, yeah, it's like they're so protective, but then they don't do anything with it, which is the frustrating part. Because I was looking at the, the Blu ray and I was like, this can't be all it's on this Blu ray. I was like, this deserves more than, you know, a commentary behind the scenes, something, nothing. Was, i was just like, this sucks. It's on a bare bones Blu ray. And I'm like, Shout kind of has this, Shout Select Movies have like this niche. I feel like they do a lot of comedies, but like, kind of, I don't know it just felt right for like 80s 90s comedy um pretty like a good high profile not like a blockbuster but like people know it uh and it just felt right for that and but i don't think they could probably get the rights because disney are assholes about that kind of thing so um yeah that's just uh, one thing i I thought was a real bummer i was like the blu-ray is like a total bare bones and i'm like this deserves a much better release than it got um with a bunch of special features so as a fan of the movie i was like michael know if there's a better release somewhere
1: <laughs> no not that i'm aware of no i'm looking over at my shout my shout shelf that has both my shout selects and my scream factory stuff there is not a single disney movie on there uh, okay yeah um, And i don't I, you know i don't own all of them i don't even own close to all of them but um but yeah especially the shout selects i mean it would be perfect for shout select I, yeah. i'm not shout fan because they over promise and underdeliver, and they're <laughs> seem to be fucking broken lately every time they send them out
0: yeah uh, yeah <laughs> but,
1: but nonetheless that that shout selects you know right up there with roadhouse and streets of fire and and valley girl and, and the ones that they've put out it's it's perfect for that line um but no, that's just not how Disney rolls. Uh, it'll show up maybe on Hulu at some point. That'll be about the best. So if you have the Blu-ray, hold on to it, uh, treasure it, and maybe even, you know, rip it and and burn a backup copy in case you get disc rod on it or something, because that might be as good as it gets for a while.
0: Yeah, it's still relatively cheap. I bought it. I think it's under $10 on Amazon, because um, I was going to – it wasn't streaming anymore was for free, and I was going to pay to rent it. And I was like, well, what the fuck am I doing? I like this movie. Let me just go buy it for, like – you know, 10 bucks on Amazon instead of paying like four bucks to rent it or something. Again, that was like, I want to own this movie. So um, at least Disney does do that. They keep their shit in print. Like they keep, yeah, yeah. You,
1: know, you can jump online right now and buy Con Air or Gone in 60 seconds for relatively cheap. And it's going to be a brand new disc, not used. And it's, you know, they keep it in print. So I guess one minor tip of the hat to them for that. <laughs>
0: I mean, that's something if they're not going to do anything with them, just don't let them go out of print so we can still buy them cheaply, you know, Um, because they got a big back catalog with a lot of great movies. And I would be, it'd be very upsetting if those were all like going out of print. So, um, well, yeah, I don't, anything else you want to bring up at gross point blank? I I don't want to cut you off too soon if you got more to say. So.
1: No, I mean, I, I, I obviously, again, I could, but at this point, I feel like I'd just be quoting the movie over and over <laughs> so start at the beginning and keep quoting um, it's a
0: bonus episode of Mike doing the whole movie as a one man
1: show. <laughs> um, yeah, I could, totally could. I could do all the, different <laughs> things and everything. that'd be awesome. Uh, no, I don't think anybody wants to hear that, but no, I mean, I, I hope I've conveyed, This is, I guess I do have, I have one last thing to, to kind of say about how much this movie actually means to me. Every time I watch it again, I always am reminded of how important it is. You know, I mentioned earlier that dialogues worked its way into my everyday that I don't even remember anymore. But it's like, you know, as you know, Matt, I wear a suit to work every day. Like, my entire, like, professional attire is Martin Blank. Like, I immediately after this movie started buying and wearing only black suits with black shirts. Um, And that's how I've dressed my entire professional life. Like, I go to court wearing a black suit, black shirt, and, you know, either a black or dark green or dark red tie. Uh, I actually still have, when I start a trial I still have a ritual and it helps it's like my mantra basically which is going to sound ridiculous to anybody listening but I go into the bathroom I look in the mirror right before the trial starts and I straighten my tie and go yeah you're a handsome devil what's your name and it helps it brings my nerves down but that's the thing that's how much this movie's like in my DNA so I get it if people listening don't love this you know like you said matt you're you're you like it but you're not there to where it's a perfect movie i get that but for me this movie is and i never think of it for some reason when people ask me my favorite movies i'm always like spider-man 2 and mr smith goes to washington and and this one i never think of this one and yet this movie has influenced my life more than maybe any other movie that has ever been made (laughs) and so like like, how do how do i (laughs) not I think that's the problem it has so become part of my dna that i just don't even think about the movie anymore it's just always there i gross plain blank is always with me um and so yeah like i get if people don't like it as much as i do but hopefully i've conveyed how much i absolutely adore and how important this movie is to me
0: no i think you i think you definitely did and i'm glad that uh that you 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 know did it here i appreciate you coming on talking about the movie you love on this on this episode so uh i think you definitely made the case for it uh also funny enough i always pitched you going to going out dressed as chow young fat and better tomorrow that's how i imagine <laughs> long coat toothpick in the mouth <laughs> I, I can't i
1: can't pull off i can't pull off the long trench coat i look i look
0: weird uh, <laughs> but, uh but no, pretty much, pretty much Martin is how I is how I dress. Uh, okay, now I know this is good. Yeah. No, I I was joking. I thought you'd tell you said at one point where you were like so influenced by Chow Yoda fat, but no, this um just try it one day in court, Let's go with a different look. I can't pull off a trench coat either. I desperately wish I could because I think they look super fucking cool, but uh I don't look cool enough to pull off a like a trench coat. <laughs>
1: So. Well, and certainly there there is a, a bit of a blending of the both of them, right? Because obviously Chang'e Fat was big, you know, and he always wore, I didn't, I never rocked the trench coat, but he always wears black suits. You know, I think yeah. about how he looks at the end of um, A Better Tomorrow 2 or how he looks at the end of Replacement Killers. And, and oh, so there is yeah. a blend there. But <laughs> it's one of those things where people always ask me, they're like, do you own a any suits that aren't black and i'm like no i do not why would i why, why why like like i've owned other suits i've owned gray suits and i put them on and i'm like why this is not as good as black why would i not just fucking wear black so instead i have like six black suits and like eight my closet is like half black shirts that, <laughs> yeah
0: <generations>. That's- <laughs> That's most of my wardrobe, my, ever my whole life, not my whole life, but, uh, my family and friends are like, do you own anything besides black t-shirts? I'm like, no, probably not. Uh, it's like, I, I try to get away from it. I'm like, I gotta buy some shirts that aren't just black shirts, but, um, I look good in black plus yeah, it's slimming. It, it's nice. It's slimming. It's slimming. I look good
1: <laughs> in black. And, you know, and if I find a black button down shirt, like dress shirt that, that works and feels comfortable, I buy like five of them. And, you know, <laughs> so I'm not wearing yeah. this. Every day I rotate them out, but they are the technically the same shirts. So. I do
0: with jeans. I'm like I find the I go back to the store and buy like four more of the same pair. I'm like I got to get more. <laughs>
1: yep. I, I don't. I'm not interested in ever staring at a closet wondering what to wear. It's so much easier. No. Like, yeah. I, I, I have no brain capacity to waste on wondering what to wear. I,
0: I love the, uh, the Einstein idea, which then I think comes up in the fly, with Jeff Goldblum, which have gold boom, which just you buy the same outfit and wear it. I don't go that far. Where I buy the exact same outfit, but it sounds nice to be like, this is what I wear every day. <laughs> this is yeah, my I, uniform,
1: I change it up belts and ties. That's where, that's where I, I have the uniform. And then I can bring, I bring a little personality into the belt and the tie. If I'm wearing a suit, I don't, I'm not Barney Stinson. I don't wear a suit every day. If I'm not,
0: <laughs> no, no, they're uncomfortable. I will say, last thing I'll get, this is turning to fashion feast. All sudden, this, is, uh, the last thing I'll say, I bought a blue it's suit. is your for, Patreon. There you go. That's
1: your Patreon <laughs> bonus episode. Fashion feast.
0: Fashion feast coming at you. Uh, it's like, uh, you guys who definitely know what they're talking. We, about. we know fashion. <laughs> People should take all their advice from us. Nothing but black suits, black shirts. No, I, I bought, I went on a limb. I had, uh, my sister had an engagement party a few months ago and I had to buy a suit as the brother of the bride, I felt like I had to really show up looking good. So I bought a, I bought a blue suit, like kind of like a dark and everyone fucking like loved it. They were like, wow, bold, great. And I thought it looked good. Maybe a blue suit, Mike. That's all I'm saying. That's the last thing I'll say on fashion. feed. <laughs>
1: I, I'm not, I'm just not gonna. I'm not okay. gonna. You know everybody will love it, but I will feel weird. I gotta, I gotta stick with who I am. Uh, plus, if I wear a blue suit, some people say that blue, when I wear blue, it brings out my eyes, but other times it competes with my eyes. And Matt, oh. my eyes are my best feature. So I, I can't <laughs> let anything compete with that.
0: You can't so, have that. Uh, <laughs> oh boy i hope
1: we have achieved levels of ridiculousness now <laughs> i think it's time uh gross point blake rules
0: <laughs> gross, yeah gross point blake is awesome i'm glad we talked about it uh um would you still say it's underrated because i was debating about i feel like everyone that knows it loves it but i feel like i is it under, I, I just don't know if i was to call it an underrated movie So i'm like everyone i hear talk about it absolutely loves it but i guess the problem is that not enough people still are talking about it.
1: (laughs) I would call it, I would call it underseen, not underrated. I think it's properly rated by the people that have seen it as terrific, but I think it's underseen. Um, I, I think more people need to see it.
0: Perfect. That's yeah. (laughs) Well said, well said. So, okay. Yeah. I guess we should probably wrap up here. We both, this movie's great. We both agree. Go go see it if you've seen it. It's it's it is available places. So check it out. Um, Mike, I will let you go ahead and plug all your stuff. People can follow you and all that, all that good stuff. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxed at Hibachi Justice. Personally, you can follow our show Action for Everyone on Twitter at A4E Podcast, where I'm joined every week by uh, filmmaker Liam O'Donnell and film critic and uh, Forbes action expert, Vice Victus, to talk about sort of the week in action movies. We review the news, new trailers, and then we kind of talk about some movies and stuff. Uh, you can find the podcast anywhere that you listen to podcasts, Apple, uh, Spotify, soundcloud stitcher all of that uh and that's that's pretty much where you can find me
0: awesome yes and everyone should be listening to uh actor everyone because it's a blast it's a treat every week i feel like even um you've had some you've had some guests recently the guests have been fun i know uh the last one i listened to uh had liam uh was off doing something so outlaw verne was on that was a super fun episode um yeah it's just it's always like a just a very fun listen because it's I love how loose and like casual the format is, which obviously I appreciate because that's <laughs> that's how the show is. But um, yeah, I, I always have fun listening to you guys talk. So um, people should definitely be checking that out. Um, and I guess, yeah, for all our, our stuff, I will plug um, usual, you know, uh, Twitter. You can find the podcast at Film Feast Pod. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MattBlood87. Um, and you can follow me and the podcast on Instagram, which is Film Feast, all one word um and that is it everybody thank you so much for listening mike thank you so much for being here and doing this i really appreciate it thanks buddy i
1: uh, know i i did the, the, the pleasure was all mine trust me about <laughs> uh, uh, girls point blank the, the pleasure was all mine i really appreciate it
0: fantastic and you all have to come back sometime soon we'll talk about something else uh Maybe the big hit. I don't know. <laughs> I did listen
1: would do 100 come back and talk about the big hit. Yeah, absolutely would do that.
0: <laughs> that might be a podcast just for us and action Twitter. But hey, I, I, and that'd be so that would be interesting because I haven't seen it in so long. I don't know how I feel about now. Plus, Mark Wahlberg's like a whole different thing now than he was in ninety seven. But uh I did buy the Blu-ray while we were talking by the way. So now I make sure I have the Blu-ray. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Big hit. So I was like, shit, I don't own this. It's eleven dollars on Amazon. Hell yeah. Buy immediately. <laughs> so oh man. But yeah, it's always so much from talking to you. We will talk to you again soon. And thank you everyone for listening. We will talk to you again later. Bye everybody.